Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to CollinsLastStand.com. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 74. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Chris Raygun. Chris, I couldn't think of anything to call you. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's I'm, fair. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> it's just the way it goes. I'm not very I'm not very sharp. I'm not very smart. I'm very quick. Nah, you're like, uh, you're in the future. Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm, uh, it is uh, late afternoon, early evening here in Virginia. I'm sitting in... I'm in my mom's house and I'm in the smallest bedroom she has. And so hopefully it sounds okay. I mean, it's not really treated like our rooms are, you know, you have all the foam padding in your room and I did in my, in my studio in Santa Monica as well. So I got to, got to get to that point. So hopefully everyone uh, finds the audio acceptable. Uh, But how are you doing? I mean, it's, it's a few days. We're recording this uh, the Monday before Thanksgiving. So are you, you're heading out on the red eye shortly? (laughs) Yeah, I'm doing it again. Good Lord. I'm flying to New York tonight. I think at like my flight's at 10 or something. And then I, I get there at about 5 a.m. So it'll be a, it'll be a fun one. You just weren't you just home not too long ago? As well? Yeah, I was there t- doing some uh, some doctor stuff because I turned 26. Oh, I'm going to be booted off my insurance soon. So I was doing all that true. stuff. 
And then they were like, Christopher, come for Thanksgiving. And I was like, no. And then they guilted me into right. coming. So right. that's how that goes, typically. Yeah, t- definitely. Well, you'll be you'll be glad you're there once yeah, you're yeah. there, of course. It'll be fun. Christopher. Yeah, I forgot that you, uh, what are you going to do? You're going to get Obamacare or whatever, the cal- covered California <laughs> next year? I That's don't know. I, I guess I, I'll figure it out, I guess. Um, I've got uh, I've got to figure that out. Yeah, I think my health insurance costs, uh, I have like the silver plan for Kaiser Permanente, so not even like the good plan. My parents were telling me, <laughs> my, par- my parents were telling me that there's like, Chris, you can get coverage for like, $17 a month. And I'm like, what the hell could that possibly cover? It's it's probably like catastrophic insurance in case you get like cancer or something like that, but probably not won't. even. I feel, I feel like that's like if you're found dead on the street, they'll put you in a dumpster. Yeah. Well, yeah, they'll dispose of your body. Like that's that's what the insurance cover. <laughs> that's what it'll do. Just like Sam Porter Bridges in yeah, exactly. uh, Death Stranding. Well, I'll strap you to my back and you can and I'll bring you to a furnace. Yeah, I'll do be it. Fun. I'll do it for free. It'll be it'll be really great. But uh, <laughs> my insurance premiums cost um, like five grand this year. Like f- I think it's like four hundred and something dollars a month for the pl- you know the, the the not great plan. So yeah. I don't know. Good luck with all of that. But yeah, uh, hopefully they don't find anything terrible, uh, or didn't find anything terrible with your health. I yeah. guess they didn't, or you would have told me. Uh, yeah, you were yeah. dying or something like that. <laughs> well, I hope everyone out there is doing well. Thank you so much for listening to our show. It is a PlayStation podcast. We'll start talking about video games at some point, I'm, I assume, today. Uh, remember, you can support our show on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. Or just go to CollinsLastStand.com for all the information. Uh, you can get early ad-free access to our show. You can buy uh, all sorts of merch. And just be with us. And, yeah. and be thankful with us on this Thanksgiving uh this Thanksgiving week. And actually it, it, the freeloaders are getting this on black Friday. So, uh, happy pre post Thanksgiving, I guess I should say to those folks. As yeah. Well, you can listen to the, you can listen to the show while you trample people over, a an Xbox 360 for $40. Did you see that the early, I guess Sony's black Friday stuff went live like yesterday and like on Amazon, they're already sold out of like PS fours and PS four pros. Apparently. Yeah. I did see that. It's wild. Pretty cool for Sony and Sony yeah. shareholders and all of you out there joining the PlayStation family, perhaps. Uh, Chris, Sacred Symbols Plus, of course, is our weekly supplement only for patrons at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. Last week's was a mailbag episode. We had a good time talking about if video games are a waste of time and all these other things. Pretty interesting conversation. And some people got pretty sensitive about that, by the way. Like, as Oh, yeah? Yeah, I don't know why. Why would you be so sensitive about... Are video games a waste of like even asking that question seemed to offend some people. So, yeah, well, it's going to be OK. It's going to be OK. But this week we're going to do a Death Stranding spoiler cast. I'm still working my way through the game. I think I'm on chapter eight or nine now, but I heard that it gets pretty quick towards the end and there's not a lot of gameplay really towards the end. Yeah, so. the, the final chapters, they they go by relatively quick compared to like the middle chapters are like the longer ones, I think. I have a lot to say about it, I have to say, and yeah. I'm, I'm sure you do, too, and the audience does. We already sim- uh, solicited your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas for this on Patreon. By the time you're hearing this, it's too late because I've already collected all of them. Uh, but nonetheless, look forward to that. And then finally, I can get into playing some of these other games because I'm, I'm eager. It's been like 55 hours in this fucking game. So yeah. I think it's about it's about time to be done with it. Now, Chris, before we get into the news and what we're playing and all of these things, I thought I'd read... A few questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas of the more random variety yeah. from our audience, as we often do. Jace Briggs wrote into us. He had a little bit of a 
I don't want to say a correction, but he took, let's say he took umbrage with what we said or what I had to say specifically about the touchpad on DualShock 4 last week for those that don't remember DualShock 5 seems to have been revealed in some patent filings by Sony. And it seems like the touchpad is staying on the controller, which I demeaned in very serious <laughs> ways. And Jace wrote a notice and he said, hey, Chris and Colin, I wanted to counter your sentiments that the DualShock 4 touchpad is useless. I personally just find it underutilized. Few games actively use it, but the ones that do make the touchpad worth it and make me miss it when games don't. Warframe and GTA 5 allow you to bind weapons and abilities to the touchpad for directional swipes and for quick equipping these without or things without the need for a clunky weapon wheel. Other, uh, others, like The Witcher 3, use the four different directional swipes to quick access menus like your inventory, map, etc. without the need to sift through other menus first. I personally love these kinds of implementations and would hate for a potential world where the DualShock 5 loses the touchpad. Anyway, just wanted to share my side of the touchpad and defend it. Keep doing what you all do and good luck, guys. What do you think he's wishing us luck for? Uh, uh, he's probably sent uh, some kind of some kind of agent or some kind of assassin. Right. Or anthrax. Remember when they sent anthrax through the mail? That was the thing that was happening for a little while. Oh, yeah, that, that was, was cool. That was uh, exciting for everybody involved. That was neat. What a neat time. But yeah, I think. Wait, does, didn't Days Gone have something like that too? Where like I think the I vaguely remember Days Gone having like directional swipes in the menus. Yeah, I think you're right actually, and I I think it's not a huge surprise that first parties would utilize this because that's the same thing even with the the light, which we also demeaned in very serious ways uh, last week as well, uh, much to the chagrin of some of the audience members. But the common theme, Chris, with the games that he mentioned. Are they're all four or years old or older? Warframe came out around launch. GTA Five was a 2014 port. Uh, the Witcher Three came out in 2015. So you would suspect that if there was a lot of heat mapping through data sent through the PlayStation Network about how you're playing your games, that people actually liked or wanted this, then we would see more of it. You would assume, but yeah. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't like the touchpad. Like I said last week. Maybe I'm maybe I'm overthinking it, but when you think about the original Duke Xbox controller, for instance, I yeah. liked that they had the black and white buttons on in there. They were in awkward places, but it gave you like more functionality that you can possibly use. I think the controller could use more buttons uh, if you wanted to, to to leverage those. You didn't have to use them. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the uh, if people want to go look it up, the Atari Jaguar controller, which had like <laughs> 8000 buttons on it. You don't yeah. need that many buttons. But nonetheless, I wanted to present the other side of the argument. Uh, yeah, because, that's fair. Uh, yeah, I don't want to be I don't want to be unfair on Sacred Symbols of PlayStation podcast, but let's get into some more serious questions. Jake Whitaker wrote in said, hey, boys, serious question. Farting at the urinal. Acceptable or outrageous? Chris, what do you think? I feel like we've had this discussion before. We might have. We absolutely have. No, it's it, it, don't do that. Did what we do really or, don't did did we really talk about this already? God, I, I swear gotta... we did. I swear we did. Yeah, we, we might have. I uh, swear to God. So you don't <laughs> fart. At the, you don't fart at the urinal. No. No. Oh, I, I mean, I, I let it rip in the bathroom. You got to let it. I mean, where else are you going to do it? I mean, I guess. But like specifically at the urinal. Why, why, why are you going to the urinal specifically for that? I feel like when you're letting go, uh, you know, your bladder's releasing. I feel like it kind of releases everything, you know? And I you kind of let it I, all out. You kind of let it I just all just disagree. flow out. All right, well, I disagree fair with the science of that. Fair enough. I'm no biologist. By the way, speaking of biology, I, I, I texted Chris a few nights ago. I was oh reading God. Wikipedia. <laughs> I was reading specifically about jellyfish, which are horrifying creatures. Just absolutely horrifying creatures. Yeah, yeah. And so I sent Chris a picture of 
this art that was on Wikipedia of the largest jellyfish species next to the art of, I guess, what would be a, a, like a diver just for size comparisons. Yeah. And so I sent Chris this picture and it, it disturbed him deeply. But then what I was surprised about, I sent him another picture of some text, but he didn't even respond to it, which I imagine means he was horrified by it. But it was that there's the, there are these species of jellyfish that are technically biologically immortal and never yeah. have to die. Yeah, no, I, I read that and uh, I checked out. Yeah, it was. I checked out. I no, I no longer wished uh, to converse with you for the rest of that day. It's no good. It's no good. I was I was like scaring myself. That is so fucked. Everything in the ocean is just disgusting. I don't respect the ocean at all. No, I don't respect the ocean. The ocean is just something that I I would easily rather go to space than the depths of the ocean. Like easily. I know some people have a problem with like the vastness of space, but I'm not going to come across like an immortal sheet. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah, like, disgusting. I don't have to deal with that shit. And no. if I do deal with that shit, if I if I'm floating in space mm. and I see another creature, you know, not in a spacesuit of any kind, just a creature that exists in space, I feel like I'm just going to be mesmerized by that. I'm going to be like, "Wow, how is that even possible?" That's interesting. But in the ocean, it's like it's just so close to us that like I just I don't I don't appreciate that. I feel like we just you know, we I mean, a lot of people have a problem with we don't understand the oceans. Why are we so obsessed with going to space? And for me, it's just like, I just want to get the hell out of here. Have you, have you, <laughs> have you looked around at what's going on? I and mean, the, the oceans are a huge problem, but the, the least oceans, of our problems in some way. The, the oceans just give you such a good read. Like anything you read about that's like deep in the ocean is like an even stronger argument for not being a part of it. I just, I'm not into it. Well, speaking of the ocean and rivers and lakes and et cetera. Sam wrote in and said, Long John Silver's, why does this fast food chain exist? Who eats there? I don't understand. I thought this was a pretty interesting question, actually. Yeah, I've never eaten at a Long John Silver's. Yeah, me neither. I actually went. Where are my notes? There they are. I went and looked this up because I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to get some information. This restaurant, because I only knew of one of them on Long Island, but I assumed there were many of them. There are over 8,000 of them around the world, and they make $700 million a year in revenue. So... Who's eating there? It seems like many a person is eating at Long John Silver. But again, in synthesizing our conversation about the ocean and the lakes and the rivers and all of the unnecessary species and animals that are under the water, I feel like Long John Silver's is actually doing us a little bit of a favor by killing those animals. And I wonder if we could get more Long John Silver's opened up so we can kill even more sea life. <laughs> they just they just open a... <laughs> I like the premise of them opening up a Long John Silver on that uh, that island of floating plastic yeah. <laughs> in the middle of the Pacific or something, wherever the hell it is. Man, that's why do I wonder why? I mean, I wonder if it would be possible because what Chris is referring to is that apparently like where the jet streams meet in the Pacific Ocean, there's like a massive island of plastic bags and straws and shit. And, and like garbage. Yeah. Yeah. Garbage. And I wonder, is it like possible to clean that up? I guess not. I guess it's just so much that you couldn't wonder, do anything about it. I would I would I would posit dumping a ton of cement on it and making it sort of an island like a proper yeah. one where you could then, you know, build infrastructure. It's not a bad idea. Yeah. We can make it the 51st state. Yeah. Of these, of these United States. <laughs> Trashland. Trash. 
Teddy Tags wrote into us. Uh, we we have to talk about this at least a little bit. He says C squared. So Stadia released this past week. And perhaps I've been getting my video gaming news from the wrong sources, but I haven't seen it make any kind of splash. He wrote some other stuff, but I I deleted it because we're only going to talk about this. Uh, what, what do you make of this uh, Stadia for people that don't know? Google Stadia is the new some you know streaming platform that has been released. It seems like literally no one cares about this thing, but I don't know. Have you seen any? Do you even have? Did you buy it or anyone, you know, have it, have one? No, nobody. <laughs> nobody I know has it. Uh, I know one content creator who who got it because he covers this stuff. But uh, as far as I've seen, uh, nobody cares about it. They're, the general consensus is it's impressive that it works as well as it does, but it's but it still doesn't work well enough to justify getting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard the so, same. So like, neat. How cool. Like, what a neat sell. I just don't understand. Like, I I feel like the way this was received was the way that I figured it would be received, which is why on earth would you pay money for the privilege? of paying for games that you then can't install and that could go away the second your internet connection goes out. It's strange. There's no, there's no reason. I feel like the market that they're going after with Stadia just doesn't exist. Like, they want... They want hardcore gamer-type people who f- are super interested in playing, like, the latest hardcore games but also, for some reason, don't have a PC or don't have a console yet. It's, it's like, okay... And then they also want, I guess, the casual crowd who doesn't want to spend a lot of money on hardware, but they have to buy a $150 Chromecast. And then people who play casual games probably don't care about Destiny 2 or any of the games on Stadia. So it's just like, I I don't, it just seems like such a massive oversight that should have been caught so much earlier on. I read somewhere, I don't, I wish I could credit whoever said it, but I'll just pretend that maybe I just said it instead. That this thing just exists because it can exist. Yeah. It, it doesn't seem like there's any really rhyme or reason to the nature of it. Because like you said, this is kind of a hardcore idea of streaming video games, but it's for more casual gamers, yet there aren't really any worthwhile casual games. I mean, even when you think about Ouya, when Ouya came out in like 2013 or whatever it was, 2012, they at least had Towerfall which was like a game that made some sort of sense on the device, even if it wasn't like that interesting of a device. And it wasn't. It was fucking stupid. They still had this game that was actually excellent. And yeah, that that it's like, well, it's an Android machine and it's kind of for your friends and it's casual and it's a gaming machine. You play together and all those kinds of things like here's the game that proves the premise. But you're right. It's like if you want to play Destiny 2, don't you have like four other ways to already play it? You can play it on PS4. You can play it on Xbox One. You can play it on PC. Yeah, and you right. can't even, and there's no way you're going to be able to play anything competitively on it because latency is still an issue, even if it's like minor. Nobody's gonna, no, nobody who who's hardcore is gonna ha- is gonna put up with latency like that. Like they're just not gonna do it. It's gonna make for a worse experience. Like it's cool that you can play in a, play Destiny Two on your phone, but like I don't see why I ever would want to do that. It's just such a baffling premise and it's also like oh it's it's cheaper than buying a console yeah i guess if you spend 130 dollars on the controller and chromecast or however much it is that's still a lot of money for the average person to just plunk down on something and then they have to pay for every game anyway and they're paying for the service and then their data cap is probably going to be blown out of the water from streaming all this stuff so like it's not even really cheap in comparison to anything else. Like, you're better off just getting Game Pass. Literally. Oh, absolutely. 
because there's going to be uh, a streaming option for that, and you don't have to buy every single game on it. It just comes like it just. I, it seems to exist to solve a problem that doesn't exist. Like usually, technology is supposed to like, you know, when a new technology pops into existence, it's usually to solve an existing problem. But there is no problem to be solved here that is worth owning the pl- like being a part of the platform. That's a wonderful point. It's a wonderful point you make, actually, because it's like it's like, here's our solution. Haven't you been dying to not play Destiny 2 on a console or PC the way you have been? You know, it's (laughs) like, I'm like, I don't know. I don't I don't feel like that. See, you're right about Xbox Game Pass and even PlayStation now, which some people have pointed out isn't really being brought up in this conversation as much as it probably uh, should be being brought up, whether that's fair or not. But like we've said ad nauseum at this point. It's just it should just be one piece of the pie of how you can play games and not just the only thing. Like, why wouldn't Google even just release a Steam like PC centric platform where you could download games, but you could also stream them? It just seems like it's I wonder if they're going to do something like that. That would have been the move. That would have been what I would have suggested. I would have been like, let's open up a digital. Let's let's do what Epic did. Let's open up a a storefront. But on our platform, you're going to have the option to stream games instead of downloading them to your precious hard drive and freeing up a lot of space that you can use for actual video files or actual music or whatever the hell you actually want to fit that like that's actually a solution to a problem you know what i mean that actually makes a ton of sense because it's like okay games are pretty huge these days i assume most people probably don't have terabytes and terabytes of hard drive space uh, except for like the hardcore people so in that context it does make a ton of sense to have a pc that's probably always connected to ethernet anyway that can just stream a game instead of having to download it and allocate a bunch of resources to having it run. And, you know, I, that's a great idea. So I don't know why they didn't just do that. It would have been a lot cheaper. And <laughs> it's just so weird. I don't know. I came up with that idea in two minutes, by the way. Two minutes yeah. took me to come up with that idea. <laughs> I thought about that, too. I've thought about that, too. I, I, it's hard for me to think that they didn't think about that. You know, like that's baffling. What a weird existence. It's just like a sign. I don't like the, I, you know, Google, everyone hates on Google all the time. And I, I understand it. They make great products. I mean, we're using one of them right now in Google Docs, but as we write our show, but it really is a product. Stadia seems to be a product of a company that doesn't have to worry about money or anything like that. Yeah. Chris, before we get into what we're playing, we have one more inquiry from Lucas Maliniak, who wrote in and said, hello, CM Squared. Well, I'm excited to hear the upcoming game you have. And so we're talking about now the game that Chris and I are making along with uh, our friends at Lily Mo uh, and patiently wait for more details. I can't help but wonder, have you ever thought about what it's going to be like on the other side of the video game review process? I'm sure you both are used to having your work critiqued. And do you feel like this will be any different? Keep up the great work and for and for letting my PS4 gaming desire live vicariously through you. Well, thank you for your question, Lucas. I think it's an awesome one. Have you thought about this at all, Chris, that our game is going to be? critiqued and criticized and, and reviewed just as we do others and that we might be dealing with uh we're on the other side now a little bit <laughs> yeah uh i don't know i i feel like being on the internet for a long time kind of makes you numb to a lot of shit so if somebody if somebody was like man that sacred symbols game really really made me want to behead my family you know i'd be like well i guess uh i guess that's your opinion yeah you were gonna <laughs> you know, do that you know, anyway probably so. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I, I, I thought about it for a little bit, but I don't think it's going to make too much of a difference. Yeah, I've thought about it, too. I feel like it'll be interesting because, I first of all, our game's not going to be like that popular or that big. So I doubt we're even going to get like a Metacritic score or anything like that. But 
it will give us, I guess, a little bit of insight into into what that's like. But I always feel like there are a lot of means more mean spirited or uh, unconstructive or whatever reviewers or critics out there, both in mainstream press and on YouTube and in podcast form. I don't feel like we're those kinds of people. So I, I feel like we always back up what we have to say. And I think we say it respect respectfully. And I know that making games is hard. I mean, I know that more than ever now that we're making one. So I, I guess the shoe is on the other foot kind of, but we never really put like bad mojo out into the world where like we're going to get it just as good as we gave it. So that, that's yeah. kind of what I'm not really too worried about. But it is an interesting question. And Chris is actually making the trailer for the game. So we'll yeah. have more on that in December or January, depending on when Chris is done. Uh, no rush. It's better to do it right. Exactly. Than to rush it, of course. All right, Chris, let's get into what we're playing. I'm still playing Death Stranding, so we'll wait. We'll save all of that for the spoiler cast. Uh, it says in our document, you're still playing Jedi Fallen Order. Do you have anything to add that we didn't talk about last week? Uh, no, I think it's uh, I, I think it's a solid Star Wars game still. I, 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 I am kind of falling off it a little bit just because I think I, I think a lot of it really does come down to like how much you like Star Wars. And I'm seeing a lot of characters that I guess are important. But I don't really care because because I I don't have any relationship with him. It's a bit glitchy. I don't know if it's just from the fact that maybe respawn isn't used to using Unreal Engine. But like, there's some texture popping and like, you know, I, I've run into some funny glitches uh, more so than I'm used to seeing in a lot of games recently. But it doesn't really detract from the overall experience. I think it's still a really solid uh, Sekiro light kind of game and it's it's good i'm excited to play it I mean, i'm really looking forward to it but I, I have to say i was reading a few days ago that there are apparently two places in the game that can break your save and that to me is com i just find that so unacceptable in today's day and age and, and it really shows me that they actually were quickly getting this game out and this game wasn't properly QA'd because that's something that would happen in games that were more frozen in time on PS2 or whatever or PS1 where we couldn't patch them and obviously these things are going to be patched out but I just can't imagine and it happens every so often but I can't imagine that a game is released in 2019 from a AAA developer and a AAA publisher that literally breaks your save and makes you for it forces you it literally locks you away from pro progressing the story apparently and you have to start again and if that happened to me and that's happened that happened to me recently in another game i can't remember exactly what it was where my ps4 i think crashed or something when it was saving but that's different this is something that's like baked in to the game and that sucks that like really annoys me so i'm almost glad that i'm waiting a little bit longer to play it so they can patch that out and fix the problem because i'd be absolutely infuriated if that happened to me. Yeah, I haven't I haven't lost any saves yet, but I have I don't know, man. I've seen uh, I've seen some hilarious uh like freeze frames in that game. Like I was watching uh my my roommate uh Sweeney. He was he was playing it in the in the living room on an Xbox One S. So the slim model. I don't know if it's actually any stronger than the base one, but the, the screen froze like multiple times for like a good 15 13 seconds and I was like wow that's no good yeah that's not gonna work it's, it's, it's pretty uh pretty wild I, it'll probably it probably runs I haven't seen any problems like that on Xbox One X but like I don't know I assume PS4 Pro or, and Xbox One X are probably more capable of handling it but it's still it's still pretty interesting I, I wonder like with games like this and, and control it starts to make me wonder like yeah maybe we maybe we really do kind of need a uh a boost 
Maybe we do need a, a next generation. I wasn't necessarily sure before this. Yeah, like a little more, a little more horsepower, as it were. Yeah, a little bit more uh, juice. Yeah. Well, we're gonna get it. We're gonna get it very soon. Um, and that reminds me, I didn't say it at the top. I probably should have. There are rumors going around. A few, a couple of rumors that we're not going to talk about in the news because they're really unsubstantiated, and I'm not even sure I believe one of them. But uh, that PS5 is going to come out on November 20th next year for $499. That seems to have come out of someone's ass. I mean, that seems like a good ga- a good guess, I guess. Uh, but there's that. And so also there's a Assassin's Creed game called Ragnarok. Apparently that's going to be Viking themed. That might be coming around out around that time too. So we're not too far away from hopefully experiencing the fruits of having more juice in these consoles. And yeah, I guess it typically happens that these late gen games are pushing it so close to the border that they start falling short. But I don't know, man, when I read, I, you know, if, if a game artifacts or it freezes or whatever, I mean, every game hitches. I think Borderlands 3 crashed on me a bunch of times, too. I think it crashed on me actually like a lot, uh, which yeah. is frustrating as hell before they patched it out, I guess. But with Fallen Order, yeah, I was just a little disgruntled because, well, for others, because I can't imagine putting 5, 10, 15 hours into a game and then you're trapped or something or you can't progress the story. And I would literally never play it again if that happened to me. I mean, I would drive me up a fucking wall. So uh, Jedi Fallen Order out now, and we're going to be doing a uh, spoiler cast on that in December if Chris gets through it. I mean, I, we, I don't want to force anyone or specifically Chris or anyone else, obviously, to play through a game they don't want to play. But that would be a good one for us to experience, I think. Yeah, definitely. Now, Chris, Jordan Faldudo wrote into us and he had something interesting to say here before we get into the news. I thought it was prescient specifically for me, but I want to ask you about it as well. He says, Chris, Cress and Cologne. Now, he calls Chris <laughs> Cress like watercress. I don't yeah. know why he calls you that, but he says, have either of you tried to get your parents into gaming? Mine just recently retired and are finding that they have a lot of free time on their hands. I recommended that they try out some games, but was met with the cold shoulder. I know my mom would love Animal Crossing or a fun platformer like Hat in Time. I'm curious to hear your experiences. What games would you two recommend to the notorious BAM, Betty Ann Moriarty, that's my mom, King Gerard the First, or Chris's parents? Chris, what are your parents' names? Uh, Ray and Marilyn. Ray and Marilyn. Okay, well, we'll keep that in mind yeah. uh, for, for the future. Now, it's funny he brings this up because... My I'm I'm in my I'm staying with my mom for a few weeks while I'm trying to kind of get my feet, uh, you know, on the ground here in Virginia before I go back to L.A. to finally move out of there completely. And she wanted to sit with me and like watch what I was playing the other night. And I was playing Death Stranding and she got really sucked into it. And I thought it was really funny because it was kind of stressing me out a little bit. Her watching me because I like to kind of like lollygag and I want to make the game look good. So she's entertained. No, yeah, I I do the same. So I eventually shut it off. I'm like, no, mom, I'm like, let's let's play something else that is more exciting. So I brought on Borderlands three and she I was playing that for a little while and she was bored by that. And then I she was like, oh, Mega Man was on my cross media bar or whatever. So I, I brought that up. But she just wanted to go right back to Death Stranding, which I thought was so funny. And she was like enamored with it. And my uncle recently retired who lives down here. And I was talking to him last time I was here trying to get him into video games, being like, I feel like it's a pretty solid use of your time if if you have a lot of free time. But he kind of, I don't want to say he blew me off. I don't think that's accurate. But I, I don't think people like him that are outside completely understand what games are today. And so they have a hard time conceiving of a, an experience that they would enjoy because I think I, I think he thinks I'm going to sit him down and he's going to play like Space Invaders or some shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny that this guy, Jordan, brought up Hat in Time for your mom. I mean, that seems like a pretty hard game to introduce yeah. to your mom. I mean, that's not a... I played a little bit of that game and it's it's not like very difficult, but I feel like that would be a little bit difficult 
for Mrs. Faldudo. Or Ms. Faldudo, perhaps. Well, it's be Mrs., yeah. I guess. Mrs. Faldudo. Yeah, so, I feel like... I don't know. I feel like maybe the Telltale games are probably pretty accessible. That, that's a good they're idea. Just sto- because they're just stories. Or the, or the walking simulators as well might be a, a nice way to... Uh, segue Maybe. into the world of gaming. I don't know if I agree with the walking simulators because I think the problem for a lot of people who who are maybe like older, who haven't really messed around with video games that much, um, they have a hard time understanding what a camera is when it doesn't actually exist. Right, it's like a hypothetical first or a third person camera. Yeah, exactly. like a hypothetical yeah. third person or first person camera that you control is kind of an alien concept. Like I remember trying to sit my mom down and showing. I I, sh- I showed my mom. I think portal back in the day and she was just baffled she like she didn't know what was she didn't know what she was looking at i think i think maybe she looked at the 3d environment and thought that maybe because she's used to seeing like 2d games like the nes that like maybe she was just looking at like a really strange 2d thing and so she didn't really understand like that she was looking up it's it's interesting like i i don't know i i I feel like uh, stuff like telltale or like detroit are probably better because that kind of aspect of it is a little bit more controlled. Like the camera is more dictated by, you know, the, the people making the game than it is uh, your personal input. And I think people have a general idea of how to control something, like just from like RC cars or just like uh, claw machines and stuff like that. Uh, I, think they can, I think they can get that, but anything more than that is, is probably... A little bit too intense to start off with. Yeah, you're probably right. Like I remember, I tried to get my dad to play. I tried to get my dad to play Medal of Medal of uh, Medal of Honor Rising Sun when I was a kid. That's a P- yeah, the PS2 game, right? Yeah, PS2 yeah. and Xbox. And I remember like he he understood that well enough. Uh, I think because he's a veteran, he kind of understands like what things are. <laughs> you know? Did he say it was very true to form for his experience in uh, Vietnam? <laughs> Definitely not. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, I mean, they were pretty. He, I remember Medal of Honor Rising Sun looking amazing back then, but then I looked at it recently and I was like, wow, this uh, looks like GoldenEye, basically. <laughs> yeah, no, it, does, it doesn't age very well. I remember that game so well just because it was one of the first, I mean, I, I think for, on console, it was certainly the first game I ever was exposed to that dealt with the Pacific theater of the war as opposed to being in Europe, just like the original Medal of Honor was yeah. in Europe and all these other shooters. So... That was what I remember about it, too. But I also remember it really like kind of being boring. I think I got like a soundtrack with it or something like that. Something weird. It's so weird, though, because Medal of Honor has just disappeared. You would think that that would be something that they would want to bring back as well. But well, they did try to bring it back that one time on PS3. They tried to bring it back twice. What was the second one? The second one was just called Medal of Honor. Right. And then the one before that was Medal of Honor Warfighter. Right. You're right. Warfighter. That's the one I'm thinking of, I think. Yeah, not very good. Well, Marilyn seemed to have the same problem that that uh, my mom had, too, because when I was handing her a controller, she's like intimidated. She's like she won't even grab it. It's like almost like an alien species or something that's yeah. going like, to affect her. <laughs> yeah, my mom, too. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I don't want to play. You know, I'm like, all right, well, we'll figure because I tried to tell her. And this is why I tell everybody, like once you learn to your point, once you understand cameras and movement on the sticks, you can play almost anything. You just have to sit down and learn it uh, that one time. But I think you're right. Actually, it's a good point about. The walking simulators maybe not being ideal for our casual parents and other retirees out there, though. I do follow a gentleman on Twitter and on Instagram that's been a fan of mine for a while or a fan of ours who's a cop in his early or a retired cop in his early 70s who only picked up gaming when he retired. So it is possible 
yeah. to become a hardcore gamer and really immerse yourself in it and find some meaning. See, I bet you if there was less flippancy about the value of video games from the older generation, the so-called boomers, let's say, <laughs> that there would be studies that would, I bet you playing video games would, and I really do bet that video games could stave off Alzheimer's and dementia. It keeps you focused. It has you reading. It has you engaged and remembering remembering things and what to do, hand-eye coordination. I bet you it's actually or could be a really valuable tool uh, for even older people than our parents that are maybe decaying mentally or whatever. I'd be really interested yeah. to see or hear more about that, but I don't know that there are any studies that pursue that particular line of, uh, of thought. I'm excited to be old in a retirement home because oh, like the, th- yeah. the th- because the the thought of uh like this generation being old is hilarious to me like i <laughs> cuz i feel like i don't know the concept of a retirement home land party seems impo- like ridiculous <laughs> but at the same time it's like it doesn't seem all that absurd in the future yeah i suppose not <laughs> no i'm just like imagining like old people being like you want to play modern warfare man like i could see it i like vividly I don't think I'm going to make it that long, to be honest. I'm going to try just to, just to see that. My mom lives in this little cul-de-sac here in, in the Richmond suburbs. And I brought my like ro- my hockey rollerblades and bought a new stick and my gloves and stuff. And I've just been skating around the block and stuff. I can only make it like 10 minutes before I'm like heaving. Yesterday or two days ago, I actually went out and skated and then I had to come in and go to bed. That's how tired <laughs> I was after like five or 10 minutes of that. So I don't know how much longer I'm going to really make it. But you have permission to, of course, continue the show with someone else uh, upon my death, which will I certainly... love the idea of somebody like looking out their window and just seeing Colin Moriarty from Sacred Symbols just <laughs> flying, down, flying down the street. I was thinking about it because there was like a kid on his scooter the other day, like kind of like he was like maybe 10 or something like that, like also skating around. I'm like, I'm 35 years old, just skating around this neighborhood like I'm a <laughs> child playing after school. I'm sure that's a really normal sight for everyone to see. Chris, there is some news to get through. So I say we get into it now. The first one, I'm excited to hear what you think about this one. Number one, if a report from website Eurogamer is any indication, Resident Evil 3 is getting the Resident Evil 2 remake treatment and may be coming out as soon as next year. While noting that the news also broke via a gaming-centric YouTube channel, Eurogamer says in part that it too, quote, has heard of the project, end quote, and that, quote, sources close to its development suggest it has been in development for some time, end quote, even as Project Resistance, the new multiplayer-centric Resident Evil game, is getting all of the biohazard-related attention from Capcom. Capcom has yet to confirm the news, though it wouldn't be much of a surprise considering Resident Evil 2 remake, uh, Resident Evil 2's remake, I'm sorry, which came out in early 2019, has been a smash critical and commercial hit for the publisher slash developer. Resident Evil 3, called Resident Evil 3 Nemesis in full, initially came to PS1 back in late 1999 with PC and Dreamcast ports following in 2000 and a GameCube port following in 2003. It's likewise available as a PS1 classic on both PS3 and Vita. The protagonist of the game is Jill Valentine, who we first see in the original Resident Evil, and the game takes place in September of 1998, months after the original game, and days before Resident Evil 2. I was actually looking at the little timeline online when I was writing this just to make sure. Uh, Chris, what do you make of this? I think this is not surprising, but pretty exciting news, especially if the quality of a Resident Evil 3 remake is the same as the one we got earlier this year. Yeah, uh, that's super cool. I'm really happy about this. Uh, I don't think it's surprising, really. Like, I think the second... Resident Evil 2 remake exploded and got so much critical, you know, critical, like, positivity. I feel like it was pretty much set in stone that, like, yeah, they're going to do this again. 
Because I would assume that it's like comparably cheap to make. I'm like I'm sure it's like it, the game looks beautiful and there's a lot of work that goes into it, but like the overall layout of like what the game is, it's probably pretty simple. You know, yeah, compared to yeah, definitely. If you're replicating what's already there, you don't need like a designer to design the game or a writer to yeah. write it or anything like that. Yeah, it's really just like a team of interpreters, if you if you can put it that way. You're just taking this game and interpreting it to a modern uh, gaming lens, and uh, I assume that that's got to take some load off of development. So, like, yeah, this is awesome. It's exciting. Now, it makes me more excited to be like, all right, let's just cut to the chase and get the Resident Evil 4 already. But I know that they can't skip Resident Evil 3, Nemesis, and also Code Veronica. I don't know if they would revisit that as well. But what's interesting about this one to me is I was reading a little bit about it, and apparently from the rumors, the game was in development, and this isn't a huge surprise, but before Resident Evil 2 Remake came out, which if the timing of this game's release in 2020 is accurate, then that makes sense because that would be a really truncated period of time to develop the game. Otherwise, even with what Chris is saying about not needing like design and pre-production as much as you would in a normal game from scratch. But it's interesting in the sense that with Resident Evil 3, they were, guess I guess, greenlighting the, the remake of 3 before they knew that 2 was going to be this commercial success but i guess they understood internally wisely so that resident evil 2 is at least going to be critically received well because it's fucking awesome i mean it's one of the great games of 2019 for sure so i'm telling you man this capcom renaissance is a real thing it's really happening and it's exciting and uh jorge a navarrete wrote into us i probably butchered that but maybe not uh he says greetings esteemed gentlemen of the sacred symbols colin and chris would like to hear your thoughts on the current rumors that Capcom is set to release RE3 Nemesis. Do you guys think this is real? If so, do you think the current Project Resistance game is part of the RE3 package with well, what could be a way of Capcom justifying a full $60 price tag for RE3, which would most likely reuse assets from RE2, with the difference being Nemesis over Mr. X, similar to the kitchen demo, which no one knew was Resident Evil 7. That's actually a good point. Is the Project Resistance that uh, is Project Resistance the behind the doors look to Resident Evil 3? A little bit of an awkward statement there. Love the show and like an episode of Game of Thrones. Always looking forward to the great content. Well, you especially are probably excited, Jorge, when Chris and I have a really sensual or sexual moment. Uh, just like on Game of Thrones, a passionate uh, love scene. Uh, Didn't Game of Thrones uh, have a terrible final season, though? Yes, it did. It did have a terrible like, final notoriously season. notoriously so? Yeah, I didn't like it at all. In fact, I watched the entire series in the weeks leading up to the final season and uh, was, was dismayed. What a waste of time that ended up being uh, for me. But I have nothing better to do anyway, so what the, who the hell cares? Uh, now, Chris, Project Resistance, for those that don't know, we talked about it, I think, a month or so ago is the multiplayer game that Capcom is making, a four-player, kind of left-for-dead style, it seems, multiplayer game. Do you think these two packages are intertwined? Because I I actually don't think they are. I think, Jorge, I think you're... uh, Well, you ask, do you think that this rumor is real about RE3? Yeah, I think it's real. Eurogamer is a reliable source. So, yeah, I think it's 100% real. It also makes logical sense. But I think these two games are separate. I think they're going after separate uh, audiences. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think they're... I don't think there's any reason to assume that they're connected. I, I assume, like, the most that you can hope for as far as a connection goes is, like, maybe, you know, people who aren't into RE2 who might be into this might check out, you know, Project Resistance and play and be like, oh, there's a new Resident Evil game coming. I might check out Resident Evil 3 Remake or whatever the hell they're going to call it. But I don't think they're actually, like, the same package. I have some bad news for you, though, Chris. They could call this game remake and make the e a three you see 
So I don't mind that. I don't mind that. Yeah, it's not terrible. It's not terrible. It's not a terrible idea. Capcom, if you're listening, you can take that idea if you want to. But I really like the way they did the seven in uh, Resident Evil Seven. Me too. Yeah, uh, and of course the interchanging of Biohazard as Resident Evil Seven colon Biohazard, or in Japan Biohazard Seven colon Resident Evil, which I thought was pretty cool that they did that yeah. since the series are obviously known as different things due to some trademark issues back in the day with Biohazard. I think actually having to do with the metal band Biohazard. Wow. Which, uh, in case anyone uh, is into Brook old Brooklyn metal, so as some of you are. So the series is called Biohazard, actually? Yeah, so the series in Japan is called Biohazard, and it was only called Resident Evil due to trademark problems in the mid-90s when that they tried to stroke trademark of, the uh, That is a stroke of luck, because Resident Evil is a uh, way better name. Oh, definitely. Like, definitely. beyond beyond better, I think. But I love that they were able to call that back with the respective geographic releases, like yeah. calling it the other... Since we've all, you know, since a lot of Resident Evil fans, I, I think the name Biohazard sucks personally, but it's it's a, it's a fine name for a metal band. But I don't think for a video game, I think it's a little generic. So, yeah, uh, uh, but I'm excited about this uh, Resident Evil 3 rumor and th- of, of hopefully more to come. And, and Jorge says in his letter, Capcom justifying a full $60 price tag for RE3 by connecting it to Project Resistance. My man, I think that if they make a game as good as Resident Evil 2 remake, it's, it justifies a $60 price tag by itself just because it's a remake doesn't mean it would be like final fantasy 7 which we're going to talk about in a little while when that remake comes out we're going to be paying full price i assume for these games or a premium whatever 40 or 60 dollars you can't really look at it as just because it's an old game made new again it should be cheaper because yeah. resident evil 2 remake is of a higher quality than many games of a new variety that came out in 2019 so it's important to keep that in mind as we move forward yeah are you looking forward to this Project Resistance game, by the way? I know we talked about it a little bit when it was officially, what well, was rumored, and then it was officially announced, but that's really m- more up your alley, because you were a Left 4 Dead guy, right, yeah, back in definitely. the day? So is this something you want to play? I'm a, I'll, I'll definitely play it. Like, I think the, the premise of a player-controlled Mr. X is uh, is great, actually. <laughs> so I'm, I'm totally down for that. Uh, any game that makes the players scare people, like, that's just fun. Like, I love playing Left 4 Dead for that reason, because you could play as, like, the hunters and the boomers and the smokers and all that, all, all those special infected. And it was always the coolest shit, because you would always, I, I would always play it like, like a, like a, like a horror director. Like, I'd be like, okay, this is where they're going to get freaked out the most if they turn this corner and then I'll hop on them. Right. You know, it's always fun. De- definitely. Yeah, no, that's, a, it's cool. The asymmetric nature of those kinds of games are, are so exciting to me. And so hopefully we'll, we'll see more of that. Uh, moving forward. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. 
Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Number two, Skydance Media, the Hollywood production company responsible for the 2010 movie True Grit, which is great, as well as the most recent Mission Impossible, Terminator and Star Trek films, is creating a video game studio. And it has wisely hired Amy Hennig, the creative force behind Naughty Dog's smash hit Uncharted trilogy, to lead the team. Website VentureBeat notes that the team's directive aims to please both core and casual gamers with quote-unquote story-focused experiences and will be co-run by longtime electronic arts executive Julian Beek. The nature of what Skydance's first game will be, what platforms it's aiming for, or when it wants to release its projects still remains to be seen, but the creation of the studio marks Amy Hennig's return to the gaming industry after being unceremoniously released from EA-owned Visceral Games in the fall of 2017, upon the cancellation of its Star Wars game and the closure of the studio. While Hennig got her start at Atari and EA in the late 80s and early 90s, she's perhaps best known as the designer of 1996's Blood Omen Legacy of Cain and the director and writer of both Legacy of Cain Soul Reaver and Soul Reaver ah, 2, God. launched in 1999 and 2001, respectively. In so the early good. aughts, she joined Naughty Dog, where she, jo- where she directed Jack 3 and directed and wrote Uncharted Drake's Fortune, Uncharted 2 Among Thieves, and Uncharted 3 Drake's Deception, which came out in 2007, 2009, and 2011. Uh, Chris, what do you think of this news? This is great to see Amy Hennig back. Uh, in yeah. creation after it's been two years in fact since she uh, was on a team yeah man it's a shame what happened to 1313 <laughs> it's ridiculous oh you're you're you, not 1313 it's a uh, project ragtag it's wasn't a, that a, wasn't that the code name for 1313 or is that a different one no it's a different one 1313 was the one being made in like hong kong a what? while ago yeah so they th- canceled that's a two star wars games yeah 1313 was simply that's insane that's even more ridiculous than i thought yeah, they, I thought they canceled too. Yeah, they <laughs> that's, did. that's so sad. So the 1313, I think, was canceled in 2012 or 2013 when Disney bought Star Wars. They just killed everything that was in production. And I know people that were working on that game and they really swear by it. They, they, they were saying it was awesome. But Ragtag was Visceral's game. That was a totally separate thing. Yeah, that was also canceled. So we've had some weird ups and downs. But what's so what's so sad is Amy Hennig is great. I mean, I know Amy Hennig personally. I consider her an acquaintance if not a friend she's always been really friendly to me but she hasn't released a game in in about eight years in fact i think uh, uncharted 3 if i remember correctly came out november 1st 2011 i don't know why i remember that but it's been over eight years since she was able to release a game and by the time this skydance game comes out it's going to be over a decade i'm sure so what a what a fucking waste of time yeah. when you really consider her talent because i know you're such a big fan of course of legacy of kane and all that so uh, you, you were a Soul Reaver guy, right? Yeah, you, you, yeah, you're definitely. A Soul guy. So it's exciting to have her back in the fold, and uh, I'm really happy for her. And I, I wonder why it took her. I'm sure she was paid a, a nice sum of money when she was uh, fired from Visceral, so it was allowed allowed her to live while she figured out what she wanted to do next. But I think this is really exciting because she's such a talented and dedicated storyteller, if not a designer. So I'm ex- I'm interested to see what more of this, but I don't think we're going to see anything for a few years to come. Yeah, it'll be a while but wishing her the very best. Absolutely. Number three, Final Fantasy VII Remake's second part is in active development, according to Square Enix. 
While Final Fantasy VII Remake comes to PS4 on March 3rd of next year, it only covers a relatively small portion of the original 1997 PS1 JRPG, seemingly surrounding that opening Midgar-centric chapter on what was the first disc. It was unclear if we'd ever get more than that, especially with this chapter of the remake's development being so tortured, but now we know. On Square Enix's official website, the publisher-slash-developer posted notes from the higher-ups on the dev team in Japan, including director Tetsuya Nomura, who said in part, quote, We've already begun working on the next one as well, but I'm confident that playing through this title will expand your expectations just like the world that extends beyond Midgar, end quote. Final Fantasy VII Remake was first shown off at PlayStation's E3 press conference in 2015, the same year it entered its full production cycle. It was initially being developed externally by Japanese dev CyberConnect2, the team behind a bunch of Naruto games and the .hack series, but was eventually taken away from them and brought back in-house to be properly completed. This is big news, and I was really surprised that this isn't making the rounds more, Chris. They hadn't confirmed that they were going to do anything further than the Midgar chapter until now, and I think it's a really good sign Square Enix isn't stupid. These PR, you know, PR for these publishers isn't dumb. They knew it said that in the letter. So they're confident enough in the product, and I think they should be because it looks fucking awesome, that they're already green lighting and working on at least the pre-production, if not full production, of uh, the second chapter. Did you, yeah. see the, did you see the screens that were released uh, over the yeah. last couple of days? What do you think? How do you think the game looks? Uh, I mean, it looks like a pretty good Final Fantasy game is all I can say about it, really. Like, it looks about right. Um, it's impressive, don't get me wrong, but like, ah, I, I still, I still kind of feel like they're not going to, I can't get this nagging suspicion out of my head that they're just not going to finish it. It's a big product, I mean, or a big project rather, because they said, I think it was Nomura, but it might have been someone else at Square Enix when they were announcing the game said something really peculiar, I thought, which was, they were saying something like Final Fantasy 7 can't be remade in one game because it's just the biggest Final Fantasy game, it's the most ambitious Final Fantasy game, and I'm like, what about 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15? Like, what, what are you talking about? You know, 15 is, is huge. And I always thought that that was a weird kind of thing to say and kind of almost, I don't want to say demeaning, but like derogatory towards the games that came after it as if they're not as complete of an experience as the games that came before. But this seems to prove to me, first of all, the, the, the wisdom in getting CyberConnect off the project because that developer is just not very good. Uh, no offense yeah. to them. I have no I have no idea how they got hired to do Final Fantasy VII Remake, first of all. Uh, but second of all, they must be getting some... The game is certainly content complete and probably playable front to back now and, and well on its way to being certified. And it seems like they're confident enough internally to move on to the second one. So I wonder if it'll be like the second disc. I wonder if they're going to then do a third or a fourth version because I think the game was only three discs. But I'm interested, Chris, in what you think about the game when it comes out because I know you're so... Uh, hesitant to play a JRPG and this is like more of an action role-playing game so maybe it'll suck you into the experience although I know Final Fantasy 7 is the one of the one Final Fantasy game as I recall that you've played right yeah so yeah. it's it's not that you're unfamiliar with it or anything yeah like well I'll it looks fun like I, I like the active combat and then I like the 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 compromise that they did with having some real-time elements and some you know traditional turn-based stuff I, I i think it looks entirely playable i just wonder how long i can play that game for before before i'm overdosing on japanese right it'll probably take about five minutes for that to happen in a final <laughs> fantasy 7 remake if the original is any indication 
But it's so funny you brought that up the the kind of the mixture, the hybrid of turn based or active battle systems, and then this more active, almost Devil May Cry combat that they've worked into the game. And I, I if you remember, I I said at the time when they announced that I was like, it's almost disappointing because they sold me on this vision after being so hesitant about it for like years. They sold me on this vision of it being an action role playing game, and it looked awesome. And then they're like, I oh, will also put like menus, and you can play traditionally. And I'm like, please. But you already sold me, you know, so it'll be interesting to see how that all turns out and which version of it's better. But I'm really excited yeah. about it. It's one of my most anticipated games, actually, which is surprising because uh, I'm a hater, as everyone knows. I mean, next year is pretty jam packed with stuff. So it really is. I mean, because I think everyone's trying to get their shit out. Plus, we don't even know what the launch games are on the new hardware, which is yeah. also exciting. So there's a whole slate of games. You know, it could be 15 or 20 games and probably like five or 10 AAA games. That yeah, are unannounced no. <laughs> that are going to be PS5 games. 2020 is going to be ridiculous. Like the fact that there's a new Half-Life game is insane. I'm excited to talk to you about that. Like that's insane. That's actually ridiculous. Well, let's talk about that right now then since you brought it up. Let me scroll down here to the part of the... Here it is. Liam McNulty wrote into us. I was actually going to bring this up during the new game releases, but let's talk about it right now. He says, hey guys, have you seen the trailer for the new Half-Life VR game? I was skeptical when I heard about it, but after seeing the trailer, I'm massively impressed by everything I saw. Do you think there is a chance this will come to PSVR, the next-gen version of it? The PS4 <laughs> version is out of the question, I'd imagine. I hope it's not limited to PC. What are your thoughts? Do you think it will make its way to the next-gen PlayStation VR? Thanks, guys. Yeah, Chris, I was, I'm really excited to hear what you think about this, knowing that you are a Half-Life fan and also much more of a PC gamer. I mean, infinitely more of a PC gamer than I am. So what did you think about this Half-Life? It's called Half-Life Alex, I think, right? Yeah, it's uh, so I, I knew about this for a little bit, actually. Like oh. I, I had talked to some people about it and uh, they said, like, yeah, we're working on this. And it was like, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I didn't know like what I could say about it, really. I'm not under NDA or anything. I just didn't want to get anybody in trouble. But yeah, it looks it looks pretty sick, man. I, I don't believe at all that it's coming to the next PlayStation because I think the whole point of this specific game is to make a VR flagship title, like make the, you know, the Breath of the Wild or the Halo Combat Evolved for VR platforms. And I think because it's a Valve game, it's probably going to be specifically trying to draw people to Steam, especially with the, you know, encroaching of Epic Games and their storefront uh, I think it's just a wise move for them. The game looks insane. Like the fact that the, the, the thought of that running on a PSVR at all is kind of uh, a far cry. Just the amount of physics that are at play in that in just the demonstration that they showed. But it looks cool, man. It's it's supposed to be like a 12 to 15 hour VR game, which is insane. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, that's like almost like Resident Evil 7. I mean, it's longer than Resident Evil 7. So that's a that's a robust experience. No doubt. Yeah, it's just cool to see people talking about it. Like it's 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 surreal to see people talking about a new Half-Life game, even if it's not like the third one that everybody memes about just the fact that it exists at all, because I was so sure that that franchise was 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 just dead. It's a little frustrating, I feel like. I mean, just I'm not a fan of the series just because I'm not really a PC guy and the orange box on PS3 was horrible, if anyone remembers. Mm -hmm. So it was really hard to even play those games on, on even last gen hardware. But I would be. I think a little upset if I was a Half-Life fan because I'd be like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you're going to do this for Half-Life? See, I, I'm not, I guess I'm playing a little bit of the devil's advocate role here because I think it's cool that they're doing it. And I'm a, I'm a believer in VR, so I have no problem with that as a platform. But if I was like so hungry for, a, you know, what has it been like 15 years or something like that since there has been a Half-Life game or Half-Life 2 Episode 2, I think yeah. it was the last one. 
then uh, I don't know. I feel like I'd be dismayed if they really it would be it would be like them. It's it reminds me, Chris, of Konami when they reveal when they release like all these Castlevania games that are not the Castlevania games you want. It's like, I don't give a fuck about your Castlevania pachinko machine and your Castlevania online game and your 3D Castlevania games and all this kind of shit. And it almost frustrated me more because it's like, you you know what I want. You know what I want. So yeah. what you, does that does that resonate with you? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I, I think it's been so long and it's such a pervasive series like in this in just like the culture of, of gaming in general. Like even if you even if you're not a PC, PC gamer, you know about you know, Half-Life 3 confirmed and all that crap. Like, it's just, it's a, it's extended even just beyond its fandom. So just the fact that it anything exists at all and that it's, and that it looks as cool as it does for being on a platform that is traditionally kind of janky and not really all that polished, I think that's what's exciting. I, th- I think a lot of people understand that what Half-Life is it's it's not really an FPS first. Like Half Life is really about pushing tech. Like initially with the first two releases, it was like you know storytelling and like physics. Like that was the big focus. It's like you can do stuff in this game that you can't do in anything else. The physics model is ridiculously advanced, and I think it makes a ton of sense for Half Life to have a successor that pushes the limits of what VR can do because it's all it's always been about pushing new tech. So in a weird way, I always I almost feel like this is more appropriate than a traditional Half-Life game that would just be an FPS. And like, what could you really do with an FPS on a, you, you know, like, I, I don't know. I don't know where they could have even gone with a Half-Life 3 that would have satisfied anybody. But yeah, this that's, is probably, just like, that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. And this one is just like unique and cool and interesting. And yeah, it's not exactly what people wanted, but I think it's something that people are definitely interested in playing for themselves. It's actually a great point because I guess it's gone on for so long. So like other a few other games that have never really popped up before where it's like, well, no matter what you do, you can't please anyone. So you might as well almost bake in an excuse, right? Like <laughs> it's a yeah. VR game, you know, like, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that's a great point that these are these are. Well, first of all, Valve is not really interested in making games anymore. It doesn't seem like with the exception of a couple of products and even some of the games that they made recently, I think, have failed. Right? Didn't they do like a card game, like a card yeah, artifact game that failed? Artifact, yeah. So uh, that's a good point, and it's just so funny. It reminds me of my old buddy Charles Agnet, who was the editor of IGN PC when I was there. He works at Apple now, and um, he—I don't think it's a u- unique to him, but I'm just not a PC gamer, so I, I'm not in that world. But he used to always say that the coolest thing that they could have done was to just release Half Life Three, like not even announce it, but it just shows up on Steam one day. That way, that there's no expectations that people are just excited because they can't believe it and then it kind of you kind of were able to forgive whatever shortcomings or lack of evolution that the game has seen over time which i always thought that was a really nice idea and i i wish that it will valve's really one of the only publishers that could do that because because they own the storefront (laughs) they don't they don't even really have to make money on it that's exactly (laughs) right will so it's interesting yeah and they've become much more of a a platform holder in their own unique way. I mean, Steam, we've we've talked up Steam so much on this show because I, I'm so impressed by its various features. So we'll talk a little bit more about Half-Life Alex, which, by the way, if people want to look it up, it's A-L-Y-X. Uh, we'll talk about it a little more in the reader list or the listener questions that we do a little bit later because something to do with Campo Santo and this game, I think, will be an interesting thing to talk about via a question we got. So we'll yeah. leave that for just a little while. Number four. 
When it comes to politics in video games, Activision wants to fall decisively on the no politics in games camp, at least according to the mega publisher CEO, Bobby Kotick. Kotaku relays word of an appearance Kotick made on CNBC in which he said in part, quote, we're not the operator of the world's town halls. We're the operator of the communities that allow you to have fun through the lens of a video game. My responsibility is to make sure that our communities feel safe, secure, comfortable, satisfied, and entertained. And so that doesn't convey to me the right to have a platform for a lot of political views. I think my responsibility is to satisfy our audiences and our stakeholders, our employees, our, share, our shareholders, end quote. Kodik, who at one time owned an astonishing 25% of Activision before it went public, has been the CEO of the publisher for nearly three decades, and its most recent game, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, became 2019's best-selling game after four days on the market, and will obviously be 2019's best-selling game. By the way, when I was reading about Kodik in pre preparation for this, I had no idea. Can you imagine owning 25% of Activision? Holy <laughs> shit. What it's did insane. you make? This is, no, this is interesting, because it's important to remember that Activision owns Blizzard, or it's technically a merger. And so Blizzard has decisively gotten involved in politics, even tacitly by making decisions, as we've discussed uh, specifically on Sacred Symbols Plus, about what happened with Blizzard in Hong Kong with uh, the, I think it was Overwatch players. Yeah. I think it was Overwatch. And uh, this seems to kind of... Uh, now, I'm not one of these guys that wants to attack the CEOs and the executives of these companies. I think they get a lot of shit for you know no reason, really. They're just people that run companies. They're not really like evil people, but it seems like he kind of wants to have his cake and eat it too. And he says a lot more. You guys can go look it up and watch this, the full CNBC interview for the full context if you want. But what do you think of this? Because uh, it struck me as weird for two reasons, Chris, not only the blizzard angle, that being in the Activision family. And they obviously, like I said, made political calls to protect their bottom line in China and communist China, but also it's just a weird thing for a company that makes Call of Duty to say, because I understand that they're not trying to inject like real world Trump MAGA politics or whatever, Bernie Sanders politics, or whatever the case might be into their games. But I mean, I've played a lot of Call of Duty, especially the campaigns, and, and they're incredibly political. So what yeah. do you think he means by this? I don't I don't quite understand it. I guess he just means he doesn't want to make or he doesn't want to publish games that are didactic. Mm. Or that are preachy, maybe? But even then, like, I, I don't even know. Like, wording it that way is really dumb. Because, like, Call of Duty, like you said, is, is, like, super political. But even the most recent one, specifically, I think takes a real event that actually happened and just completely changes the history of it. So it's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, are you, re do you, you, are you really paying attention to what you're even making? Like, it's, it's, it just seems like really not really unaware yeah i feel like it's well he, his appearance for people that don't know cnbc is a money and market channel and publication so i think he's trying to speak to people that might be interested in activision stock specifically right. and not so much to the gamer so I, yeah so so it's like hey you know we've we're not we're not at a high risk of alienating people Right. Just so and, you know. <laughs> and like maybe like some of these, you know, shareholders and stock, you know, uh, people that have stock portfolios and whatnot have heard from their kids or whatever about Blizzard and they want to kind of cool things off a little bit or whatever, because I think they did take a little bit of a hit on the market when this all happened. But yeah, it is a little weird. I mean, you made a good point, Chris, in that Call of Duty is not preachy. And I, I agree with that because the politics are well, sometimes like Black Ops is real, but then you have like advanced warfare, which is not really real, obviously. So they're able to kind of write their own stories. 
but I, I feel like this is a strange thing simply because I feel like we we know that. Like, I think we already know that it's not your responsibility to preach about whatever literal politics like people want Far Cry or something like that, which is not an Activision game uh, to do. But I feel like I'm I'm of two minds with this because I feel like on one hand you have the waypoints of the world or whatever that want everything to be political and read everything in, in that gaming is as being political, which I think is fucking stupid. I mean, for instance, like Mega Man or Castlevania is not political. There's not literally one shred of politics in Castlevania or Ninja Gaiden or whatever the case might be. So you don't have to have politics. Yeah. Well, there's, I guess a little bit of politics in Ninja the Gaiden. politics of uh, Crash Team Racing are very in-depth and very real. Right. You got to read deep into it. You got to read between the lines, in fact. <laughs> but Chris, I also just to me, I'm just like, well, just just shut the fuck up. You know, just make your games like I, I yeah. don't feel like you need to preface all of this for us in a way where it's like we don't everyone needs to feel safe and secure and comfortable and satisfied. That's what he says. And entertained. Yeah, we kind of already feel that way about Call of Duty. You have the best selling game of the year. You have the best selling game of every year. We already know. So I, I feel like this is just an unforced error. And again, to my point, I don't know that Activision PR anticipated that this was going to be picked up probably yeah. by Games Press. It comes so. across it just it comes across as more suspicious when they when they talk about it, you know what I mean? It's Definitely. like, oh, you know, I'm really it's like if somebody's on the street and they're holding up a sign that's like, oh man, I'm really opposed to uh, you know, breaking into this building specifically behind me with a with a bowie knife. It's like what? <laughs> that's so that's so specific. What do you like why like why are you why are you talking at all? You could have just broke in with your Bowie knife. Exactly. And no one would have uh, no one would have suspected you. Well put. Very well put. Uh, let's move on here. We're, uh, I had a little bit of a letter here about Call of Duty, but I'm just going to move on. Mm. I don't feel like talking about Call of Duty anymore. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Number five. Another hint indicates that Media Molecules, long in development PS4 exclusive Dreams, is finally launching in its final form early next year. As you'll recall, we discussed in the last episode of Sacred Symbols that British retailer Shop2 tweeted and then deleted Dream's purported release date, February 14th of 2020, as well as its box art a couple of weeks ago before conspicuously deleting the message. Now, website Push Square is pointing towards the Australian Games Rating Board, which just days ago released a rating for the game. Global Games Rating Boards virtually never rate games out of the blue as they're submitted for certification by publishers. So as we said last week, expect Dreams to launch on PS4 on February 14th in just a few months. Now, Chris, there was nothing really written on Patreon about this, but we did get some feedback or I got some feedback on Twitter. Some people are a little upset with me about Media Molecule and... 
the, I guess, potential of this game. And I think I just have, I'm just diametrically opposed to this idea that this game is going to do well. And I, yeah. I could be wrong. I've been wrong about, people can go look up my uh, Vita is set to succeed article from 2011 <laughs> if you want to see how wrong Colin can be sometimes. But uh, the proof's going to be in the pudding very soon. Very, very soon indeed. Two and a half months from now. I would, yeah. dollars to donuts, the game's coming out on February 14th. Uh, maybe, so, yeah, maybe, I don't know, maybe we are super hard on them, but, like, it's only because, like, we just genuinely don't understand what the product is. Like, I, I don't hope for it to fail. No, certainly Like, not. I think it would be great if it found an audience. I just don't necessarily see that happening if it's stranded on PS4. I could, I could definitely see it finding an audience on PC, because PC is very, you know creation centric there's a lot of games on steam that are literally just programs to make stuff with uh gary's mod was huge because of just the the meme potential of it and just like the stu- the bullshit you could do uh with uh, other games assets so like i could see it flourishing i just don't see it flourishing in the environment that it's set to flourish in or that it's being set up for certainly not i think first of all you're absolutely right they got to get this thing on pc and i think that they will because yeah, we, we've sure seen that yeah, we've seen this with, the, I think they might have even maybe referenced that at some point, maybe in the they talked about access. It. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So with Death Stranding coming to PC next year, and obviously we've seen smaller games like Helldivers and Detroit Become Human, I think is coming to PC very soon. So I think that we're getting, or Sony is getting a little more comfortable with it. And we as fans have to wrap our minds around this more multi-platform experience that we've almost expected uh, out of Xbox for these many years. That's now becoming more of a, rela- or a reality rather for PlayStation audiences as well. And I'm with you. I mean, I hope this game sells 10 million copies and becomes a massive smash hit. But I don't know. I, I'm very knowledgeable about video games in the video game industry. And if I if someone was like, you have to put money on if this game is going to succeed or fail, I'd absolutely put the money on failing. And I'm, I'm, I'm worried for Media Molecule's long term health. And I think that they've been painted that well, whether they painted themselves into a corner or the powers that be Jim Ryan, Shuhei Yoshida, uh, etc. painted them into this corner. Whoever is responsible for this, I just think it's a mistake. They haven't released a game since 2011 on a console. It's just not acceptable. And by the way, that game came out in January of 2011, Little Big Planet 2. So other than Tearaway, I mean, what the fuck are they doing? I, I just, it's, it's really, remember guys, and again, to Chris's point, we don't want the game to fail, but remember, Drive Club came out from Evolution Studios. That game sold millions of copies and they still shut them down. So, we're going to find out exactly what's going on with these guys uh, very soon. February 14th, 2020. Bet on it. Number six, the first piece of what will undoubtedly be a ton of Borderlands 3 DLC has been officially announced by developer Gearbox Software and publisher 2K. The DLC pack is called Moxie's Heist of the Handsome Jackpot. And the official website says the following in part, quote, Moxie's assembling a crew to plunder a derelict space station casino, and you've proven yourself worthy of joining her ragtag team of experts. Successfully battle your way through Hyperion security forces and crazed casino goers to reach a safe loaded with iridium, cash, and all new legendary loot, end quote. Moxie's heist of the handsome jackpot will be available beginning December 19th and can be acquired both individually and as part of Borderland 3's wider season pass. Now, Chris, I gotta say, I love that release date. I think that's yeah. like such a great release date for this because everyone's going home. They're going to have a little bit of time off. You don't want to release a triple A game, a $60 game at that point. But I think releasing a piece of DLC is really wise, especially because a lot of people will probably be getting the game. Uh, for no, Christmas. 100%. Really good timing. Now, I love the idea of what this sounds like. A derelict space station casino. That sounds cool. Sounds yeah. really cool. So uh, more Borderlands 3, hopefully incoming. It reminds me a little bit of what, what could have been so cool about Star Wars Episode 8, the casino planet. 
That was yeah, a cool, it's a shame. That was a cool idea. That was a really cool idea. And yeah. they just botched it. Yeah. As they botched that entire movie, of course. Ah, well, you know. This is the this is this is where we are. Nothing was worse. nothing, and I mean nothing was worse than watching Princess Leia float through space. That was that, that was actually like I don't even care about Star Wars, and that was like that was like a like a moment. Oh, I had a, a a serious breakdown. It was hilarious when dude. I saw that. Oh my god! I, I love how like it. when they went to that uh, planet too, and they were like, "Oh, they have slaves and animals. Let's free the animals." <laughs> It's like what? I mean, what the fuck is this? Thank you, Ryan Johnson. You really appreciate your uh, really subverted my expectations. He certainly did. In the same way that uh, you know, a terminal diagnosis subverts one's expectations. <laughs> Number seven, Shenmue Three may just have come out to a deeply lukewarm critical reception and horrible sales. <laughs> deeply lukewarm. <laughs> but series creator Yu Suzuki is ready to make at least one more game if fans want it. Suzuki wrote a letter to the Shenmue audience as relayed by website Video Game Chronicle, which reads in part, quote, to all the fans who have waited many years for Shenmue 3 and to all the crowdfunding backers who have made this game possible. This project would not exist without your love, support and the connections we've made along the way. With profound appreciation for all that you have done, I'm happy to present you Shenmue 3. During development, I expanded the scope beyond what I had originally envisioned. I'm happy we were able to include the distinct Shenmue charm. I don't even, I don't even want to know what that means throughout the game. I hope that this new chapter strikes even a small resonance in your heart. For as long as there are those who wish to see Shenmue live on, I will never give up on my own personal journey to complete its story. As with Shenmue 3, the Shenmue story is with you. I sincerely hope that together we can continue to spin this tale of Ryo and his adventures in Shenmue 4, end quote. As Video Game Chronicle notes, Suzuki did a Reddit AMA in 2015 in which he said that he envisions the game being 11 story chapters across five or more games. The original Shenmue is one of Sega Dreamcast's most notable games, having come out in Japan in late 1999 and elsewhere in the world in 2000. Shenmue 2 followed on Dreamcast in 2001 and on Xbox in 2002. Both games finally came to current-gen hardware, including PS4, in 2018. Yu Suzuki, on the other hand, was a longtime Sega-employed director, producer, and designer who worked on a ton of classic Sega games, including Afterburner, Virtua Racer, Virtua Fighter, and Daytona USA. Now... Did you see the pictures going around about Shenmue 3? I, I, someone sent us a picture, I think, Chris, that Shenmue 3 at Walmart is already $29.99 or wow. something like that. It's like, did anyone buy this game? Did literally anyone buy it? That's what I want to uh, know. I maybe, know. maybe, uh, I mean, people have to have bought it because people reviewed it. Right. Exactly. That's true. They <laughs> So it has a 5.9 5. on IGN. Uh, 5.9. Yeah, that's pretty deeply lukewarm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit redundant. That's probably not very good writing on my part. But yeah, it's, I, I, don't, I think the game looks fine. I think it looks like Shenmue. I'm just not a huge Shenmue fan, but uh, it's just it's almost scary to imagine we're going to get more of these games. <laughs> it almost frightens me to my core that people want more Shenmue. But yeah, I feel bad, actually, because first of all, we don't as Chris and I were saying, I don't want any game to fail and I want every game to sell well and, and be great and find its audience. But the fact that the embargo was originally two days after the game came out and which is totally ridiculous and on you can't even do that. So they didn't hold to that, of course, but also that the game was actually discounted before it came out. I don't know that I've ever seen that. I, I have to really think back deeply and be like this, but I don't remember a game being discounted literally before it came out. Yeah, which no, is what I happened. don't <laughs> I don't remember that either. I, like the closest thing I could think of was 
Fallout 76 after like, I think a week. Right, exactly. Yeah, at least give people a little bit of time, right, to buy it. Yeah. What that tells me, Chris, is that they were afraid that the few people that were going to buy it were going to be mad when they discounted it. So they just discounted it before it even came out, which I think I'm not even being facetious. I think that that's actually what they did. If you pre-order it. Yeah. At full price. Like, what's the logistics on that? Like, are you paying more for your pre-order than you would if you just waited for like a day? My assumption, I guess, is that if that. Yeah, I guess if. Well, if the if if it happened at the, before launch, I would assume you get like, if you ordered on Amazon, for instance, you probably just get a little credit or something like that, you know, or whatever. Yeah, the case might yeah, be. I guess that's <laughs> this whole thing's just bizarre. All right, Chris, this next one's for you. Number eight, if you're a Crash Bandicoot fan, Chris is, there are a couple of interesting, noteworthy pieces of news or compelling rumors, really, that indicate two things. A new Crash game is in the works and a Crash animated film is in the works as well. First, the game. Eagle-eyed viewers of a new holiday-esque PlayStation television ad have noted the inclusion of what appears to be Crash Easter eggs, which website Push Square reports as, quote, a glimpse of Crash racing about a car, uh, racing about a car park, so in a parking structure, joined by an Aku Aku mask. I think I'm saying that right. And another, which accompanies Coco Bandicoot, that has never been seen in any Crash game, past or present, end quote. So in other words, there's this mystery mask from that I guess isn't in any of the other games that accompanies Coco as she's racing around the parking lot. And huh. it says this wouldn't necessarily be noteworthy, except for one interesting point. A tweet linking to the ad with a thinking emoji sent out by Nicholas Cole, a character designer who worked on the Spiral Reignited trilogy at Activision-owned studio Toys for Bob, the same dev that, in addition to long working on the Skylander series, also made Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy. So there's that. As for the animated film, nerd-centric website We Got This Covered reports that a source tells them that an animated Crash movie is in the works at Sony Pictures. We Got This Covered's rumor isn't random, as the website indicates that the same source who relayed word of other proven true rumors in the past is the source of this news, though little else is currently known about the project. So, a new Crash game and Crash animated film. These both sound totally realistic to me. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think... um... You know, I think the I'm actually kind of shocked at how well Crash's resurgence has has gone. Me too. Like it's actually de- like genuinely shocking. Like especially how how well it's sold in the UK. Like that's that's a that's a weird one. Like it was almost it almost sold better in the UK, I think, uh, compared to like a lot of titles. But it's like I mean, this is yeah, it makes sense to me. Like if they're they're making a son they're they're making a Sonic movie. So I mean. I don't even think Sonic's technically profitable anymore. So, <laughs> no. So I mean, no. you know, it, it totally would make sense for uh, Crash to get some kind of treatment like that. I don't know what the hell they could possibly do with it, because I don't know. The lore of Crash is pretty, pretty minute. Uh, but you know, I, I'm I'm fine with that. I'm pumped for a new Crash game. That sounds exciting. Yeah, I mean, it seems like, I mean, on one hand, Activision doesn't really release any games. They release like two games a year. So there's that. But on the other hand. I mean, I'm with you. We were talking about all the times I've been wrong in the past, the many times I've been wrong. And that's one of the times I've been wrong. I I, I was very vocal when Crash Bandicoot or when the Insane Trilogy was announced. I'm like, who gives a shit? I really was <laughs> like, I really just had no idea. It, it just shows how like we can't possibly have our finger on every pulse, I guess, because I was like, that sounds like a waste of time and money. Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> that's, that's so funny because I heard it and I was like, this is amazing. I'm so happy they're doing this. Well, I was I was happy for people that were happy, but I was like, I don't think I mean, Crash Bandicoot. It's just been it, it, at that time. It was like it's been 15 years since there's been a Crash Bandicoot game anyone's even liked. But I yeah. was totally wrong. I mean, it, you're, to your point, I think I'd have to look back at the 2018 MPD data, but I think Insane Trilogy is in the top um, 
20 games sold for the year. So that's a pretty impressive thing for a, a collection of late 90s nostalgia, which is which they did a nice job with to their, you know, to Toys for Bob's credit. So yeah. I guess it's not a huge surprise that with all that work that they did, that they have the keys to the castle, as it were, to make a new game now. And what I'll be most interested in is if people care as much about the new game as they do about the insane or did about the insane trilogy and also crash team racing which was another thing i mean we were on doing the show together when that was announced and i was like really crash <laughs> team racing so I, I mean i just should probably just shut the fuck up at this point right <laughs> i guess about crash stuff maybe yeah i don't know i'll just, I'll you're, just yeah. you're clearly just way off every time yeah i'll just defer to crash from now on uh, yeah. on all things crash so there's that we'll have hopefully more news uh, confirming that uh, in the coming months I was going to name my dog Crash, but then they didn't let me. What did you end up uh, naming your dog? I didn't. I didn't. My parents named my dog and said, this is your dog. And I'm like, why'd you name it if it's my dog? <laughs> it's not my dog. It's yours. Deal with it. That sucks. Yeah. It's like naming someone else's child. Yeah. It's like, hey, this is Brian. It's like, what? <laughs> Can you imagine the doctor just names your kid for you? That would be an awesome tradition if, if the... In, in in Western medicine, medical tradition, the doctor names the baby. Yeah. <laughs> they just name a baby like every day. Yeah. All right. Number nine. Veterans of French studio Arcane, the Bethesda-owned team best known for the Dishonored series as well as 2017's Prey, have started a new developer, according to Games Industry International. Raphael Colantonio. I'm sorry. That's not as hard as it. That's not as hard as I thought it was. Cole Antonio, one of the founders of the studio who left Arcane back in 2017, as well as fellow longtime Arcane employee Julian Roby, call their team Wolfi, and their game will be officially revealed in the coming weeks at the 2019 Game Awards. While the nature of their game is unknown, it's likely to be uh, going to be a story and mechanics based game, just as Arcane's games are, with an emphasis on design over graphical fidelity. Roby told Games Industry International in part, quote, With Wolf Eye, we really wanted to get back to the core ideas we both like in games, both as players and as designers. We like games that respond to player actions, where the world reacts to what you are doing and the experience is owned by the player. It was what we wanted to get back to, rather than being constantly distracted by the complexity of doing games, which are technically more involved, and little by little your focus and development moves away from the actual experience toward technicalities, which in the end don't change the experience much, end quote. And then he later added, uh, quote, I noticed both as a developer and a gamer, I think it's been two or three generations of games now. I've been playing the same game. The only difference is that it's more beautiful, higher resolution, more shaders, but really the game is the same, end quote. Unlike most dev studios of any size, Wolfi will be run from locales around the world without a centralized studio space, and the team is under 20 people in size. Now, Chris, I don't know if you saw this, and I'm not going to call out any names individually, but that announcement annoyed some people. Did you see any of the stuff from the uh, the game development, uh, let's say, community? No, I didn't see anybody annoyed. Why were they annoyed? So I guess a lot of people or some, I don't want to say a lot of people, some people were reading into this as them kind of shitting on everybody because people can read it. It's a big interview. But what we even said here, what I just said, even says it. It's like we're playing the same game over and over again. We're, we're distracted by the wrong things. Games basically are what they're basically saying is that games aren't very good. And I saw one notable developer in particular. Again, I, I'll leave names out because I don't want to draw any attention to these people. But that were like, uh, this is not the way you announce your studio. It's not the way you announce your game. And I disagree. I think you have to do be bold. Yeah. And uh, I'm excited to see. That's it. not even a that's not even a controversial stance. Like, like, are you serious? Come on. Like, you're a developer and you're not going to say, 
you're you're you can't acknowledge that the new Call of Duty is yet another one. Like, come yeah. on. Yeah, like, it doesn't it's not seem like, that controversial. It, yeah, it's it's not like Modern Warfare is me- like so mechanically different from previous Call of Duty games that it's like, oh man, what a bold. Like, come on. Like, it's fine. It does what it does. And there are plenty of games that are fine like that. Like, there's there's nothing necessarily wrong with it. But like, so, just somebody acknowledging that, yeah, it's a, it's the same stuff over and over again. That's not. I don't know. I, I don't even really think it's saying that games aren't that good. I just think it's saying that like a lot of games are familiar. Yeah, you're probably right. I I, I find it tepid as well. Like, I just don't. I I mean, we say. I mean, I say it all the time. It just seems like really defensive and like really knee jerk and like almost like you think that maybe what you're doing isn't particularly all that mm. interesting reverse psychology there it's like yeah. it's like projection almost yeah where it's like he's just saying that yeah games are super fun i like that shit you know i want i want the next halo to be literally the first one again right <laughs> like like you know what i mean like I, that's what i'm hoping for right and i don't mind that that's fine i don't I mean, know I'll, I'll take more of a good thing over and over again too i yeah. think there's i think there's probably well there definitely is such a thing as too much of a good thing but yeah, what, what what more surprises me is that, uh, and this might be more controversial than what they even said, is that I'm not, I don't consider Arcane to be an especially overly talented studio. So I'm really interested, like, I don't think that they're like the cream of the crop, even at Bethesda. I think Bethesda has better teams than Arcane. So, well, they, well yeah, they have, they have id. They have, yeah, of course they have <laughs> id. And, and I would even say Machine Games and Tango are better studios. So, I, and maybe not so much Bethesda Game Studios anymore, but. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll feel this out and we're going to find out what their game is in just a couple of short weeks. But uh, Brian Lau actually wrote into us on Patreon with something kind of tangentially related. He says, hey, fellas, the Game Awards is only a few weeks away. First of all, do you care? I've heard throughout the year that games you two enjoyed, but which game? I'm sorry. He says, I've heard throughout the year the games you two enjoyed, but which game do you feel will be your game of the year? So let's take those at a, uh, one at a time. Uh, first of all, Brian asks, Chris, do you care about the Game Awards? Uh, loosely. Like, I like watching him just because it's like, I don't know, it, it's something to do with the hobby that I enjoy. So I just like taking in as much of that as possible. But also, I just find um, I find Jeff Keighley to be just like a likable person. Yeah, I agree. Like, he's like strangely likable. And I just he's got like an infectious kind of optimism every time he just talks about the shit. Like whenever he's like hanging out with Kojima, it's like he, <laughs> he's like a kid. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't I don't necessarily care what wins. Uh, cause like, maybe I'll have an opinion on the day of, and then like the next day I'll be like, ah, oh, you know, I, I totally forgot that that even happened. But you know, I, I look forward to the game, game awards, even, even, uh, when they were doing that VGX cringe, right. Oh, yeah, back was, in, uh, that was, what was no it? 20, 2015, 2016, something like that. Yeah. Around there. Yeah. I like Jeff Keighley too. He's, he's always been really nice to me, which I appreciate because a lot of people aren't very nice to me in the games industry. So that's, that's one thing that I have to throw out there, but the other thing is that I've had to kind of accept, I think, that because I used to be much more critical of the, of these game awards and just awards generally, even the Dice Awards and the BAFTAs and stuff where I'm like, I don't want our industry to really be a facsimile of the film industry or the music industry or the television industry where we have these galas and award shows and we have to give out these awards and make people feel special and stuff like our, our industry should be different. But I think what I've realized is that I'm such a niche gamer compared to a lot of people with the the stuff that I enjoy that I just it's not never going to reflect my opinion. It's just never going to happen. And once I accept that, then the game awards became much more entertaining, especially from a a revelatory point of view when you're getting all of these great game reveals like it's he's getting and by he I mean, Jeff is getting more and more. 
I guess, cred, street cred with the show where people are and publishers, big, big names are willing to go on there and reveal their next product, which I think is pretty cool. But there is a little bit of controversy with Kojima and Death Stranding and how much attention and, and I guess nomination it's gotten from the Game Awards considering Jeff's relationship with Hideo Kojima. And I know that and maybe you feel differently. I know that a lot of people out there like to be conspiratorial, but the reality is, is and because I, I not only know this because I was a voting member of the Game Awards like board or whatever for a couple of years, is that Jeff Keighley doesn't nominate the games and he doesn't vote for them. So it, this really is just coming from media outlets and YouTubers and Twitch streamers and stuff like that. And again, I think I voted in 2016 and 20 or 2015 and 2016. So and I don't think anything I voted for actually won or even made it. But I just want to kind of diffuse that conspiracy because I don't believe it. I don't think yeah. that there's anything untoward going on there. So, yeah, I don't think so either. And yeah. also, even if the thing is, too, it's like their relationship is so obviously transparent. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, f I feel like even if even if he did vote, even if he had like one say, like, you know, he's going to pick Death Stranding personally, but he still has a lot of other people voting. So, like, what is it? really matter yeah know. he's it's not like metacritic where he's weighted his vote or something yeah, like that yeah and, yeah, yeah yeah jeff keely jeff keely has uh three thousand votes right and everyone else just gets one and so no yeah. matter what jeff keely's winner is the winner yeah i just wanted to throw that out there because i know that there is a lot of conspiracy about that no worries i think jeff keely is one of the honest brokers in the industry and there's so much there's so many <laughs> bigger fish to fry in terms of dishonesty and agenda driven shit i don't think he's even a problem at all so um, yeah what i got to think about i don't even know the exact date of it it's in early december but maybe we'll do a sacred symbols plus about the reveals or we'll probably actually that's probably not even fair we probably should just put those in the ring yeah that's, that's a that's normal episode i think yeah yeah you're probably right number 10 on august 30th this previous summer a blair witch project video game aptly called blair witch came to xbox one and pc at the time it was portrayed as an xbox one console exclusive but now we know that the game is also coming to playstation 4 and it'll be arriving soon on december 3rd the survival horror game was developed by polish studio bloober team the dev most notably behind 2016's layers of fear and 2019's layers of fear 2 though you may also recognize them from the ps3 and vita puzzle games amen and amen 2 and the horrendous ps4 launch game basement crawl i don't know if anyone remembers that game it was fucking horrible the blair witch <laughs> video game takes place in 1996 while the 1999 blair witch project film takes place in 1994 making this a sequel the xbox one version of the game is hovering around a 70 on metacritic I'm looking forward, actually, to playing yeah. that, finding some time to play that. Layers of Fear is actually really good. I never played the sequel, but I liked Layers of Fear a lot. Yeah, I actually played uh, Blair Witch for a little bit. What did you think? I think it was on Game Pass. Uh, it's it's good. I don't think it's bad. It's definitely like a little bit clunky. Like you can definitely feel like it's it feels more like an independent kind of venture than anything else. But I think it's sufficiently creepy, and it does some really cool shit with. Uh, with the kind of outlast camera mechanic. There's like an there's like a camera that like fucks with time based on what you're watching on the case. It, 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 it's kind of neat. I didn't really get to sink my teeth that far into it because I think it was like a bunch of other shit was coming out. But uh, I don't think it's a bad horror game at all. I wonder if this was always I mean, I assume at some point they wanted to bring it to PS4, but I was wondering if this was always supposed to come this quickly because it didn't seem like a lot of people were playing it on Xbox One or talking about it on PC as well. And so I wonder if they like were able to get out of their contract or a freak. I mean, that's all 
it's all conjecture. I don't know. It just yeah. they just made it seem when it was announced that it wasn't anywhere close to coming to PlayStation. So when I saw that, I was really surprised. And when I saw that imminent release date, I was even more surprised. So uh, I got bigger, you know, bigger games to play right now. But that's going to be on the list because I'm a big fan of that first movie a lot. I remember seeing it in the summer of 1999 with my sister and it scared the shit out of me. So <laughs> and, and I think we talked. We, did we talk about it on the show? I don't remember. But that was in like that primitive Internet era where people thought or like the people really thought that that movie was real. That, that yeah. was like and it's hard to kind of put people back in that place if they weren't there at the time and seeing it at that time. But yeah, that it was, was, very, was so, it's a very different time. Yeah, it was frightening as shit with with that context i was going into 10th yeah. grade at the time and i was horrified. now uh, yeah now you watch a movie and uh neil degrasse tyson's tweeting about how you know a ghost couldn't possibly walk through a door that quickly <laughs> he's the worst he's, <laughs> he's the absolute worst. i really like him i think he start that star talk podcast he does is pretty interesting sometimes and he's obviously incredibly important uh and and influential and intelligent astronomer but he kind of comes off like a bit of a dipshit sometimes with some of the things he tweets. <laughs> I don't think he cares. I think he just like tweets whatever the fuck makes him laugh. He stri- he strikes me as somebody who genuinely does not give a shit. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't if I were Neil deGrasse Tyson, I probably wouldn't care either, to be honest. He's probably too smart to give a shit. Honestly. Yeah. I like did you ever see that he apparently rides the subway in New York City to work? And so people are like always taking pictures of him and you find them popping up every once in a while. I think that's kind of cool that he does that. Yeah. I mean, what what else would you would, what are you going to? You're going to drive? No, take your little car. I mean, if you're, he's got to be a millionaire, you would assume. I mean, take your car service or something. But nah. Yeah, why not take the subway? Be nah, one of the subway's people. so convenient. It is. I love the subway. Number 11. If you're a fan of baseball and baseball video games and need something to add to your collection in addition to Sony San Diego's annualized PlayStation exclusive MLB The Show franchise, you'll be pleased to know that RBI Baseball is returning in 2020, due out on PS4 and elsewhere in March of 2020 as RBI Baseball 20. With a suggested retail price of $29.99, the game will be marketed at half the price of the show when it launches, with Milwaukee Brewers outfielder Christian Yellick gracing the cover. I don't know if it's Yellick or Yelich. The RBI series, uh, baseball series began back in 1988 on the NES, with RBI Baseball 2 and RBI Baseball 3 following, also on NES, in 1990 and 1991, respectively. Several more iterations came to Genesis and SNES during the early to mid-90s before going silent, until April of 2014, when RBI Baseball 14 came to PS3, PS4, and other hardware, too. The franchise has since been annualized, and though it bounced between several developers, Major League Baseball's internal publisher-slash-developer, MLB Advanced Media, has been wholly responsible for RBI Baseball since RBI Baseball 17. MLB The Show 20, on the other hand, will come to PS4 only on March 17th of 2020. So if you're a huge baseball fan, uh, that's good news for you. Although I think that that news is probably much more significant for the Xbox audience, which doesn't get baseball games other than RBI Baseball. I really hate seeing shit that's like, game came out like this video game came out in 1988 because i'm reminded that like the 80s was like 40 years ago oh my god it's horrifying isn't that fucking weird it's scary because yeah like 80 i was four years old in 1988 you know i was that was what the fuck was i doing i wasn't doing anything you know i was just (laughs) i was like eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and like crawling on the ground and dirt you know what the fuck was i i don't know what i was doing being an idiot annoying people Gross. same basically the same thing i do now i guess yeah <laughs> all right chris number 12 is a wrap-up website gamatsu reports that the remakes of rpgs langresser 1 and langresser 2 are coming to playstation 4 on march 10th of 2020 
That co-op tower defense game, Dungeon Defenders Awakened, is coming to PS4 sometime in the second quarter of 2020. And that JRPG, Ark of Alchemist, is coming to PS4 on January 30th, 2020. Push Square reports that home renovation game Tools Up is coming to PS4 next week on December 3rd. Game looks actually kind of cool. They were comparing it to Overcooked, but for like home decor. Kind of looks oh. pretty neat. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, that beat up Fight and Rage is coming to PS4 on the same day, December 3rd. And that One Piece, Pirate Warriors 4, is coming to PS4 in March of 2020. And finally, fan-run Twitter account Final Fantasy UK Fans reports word from the Final Fantasy 14 fan gathering that Final Fantasy 14 is gearing up for an official release on PlayStation 5 at an unknown time. Not a huge surprise there. Now, Chris, it's time to get into the new game releases. As tradition dictates, you will go first and... Thankfully, this is the shortest list I've seen in some time, so we won't have to mess. The bad writers won't mess with your dyslexia too deeply today. Bleep Bloop comes to (laughs) PS4. Meet Bleep and Bloop as they help each other overcome all all the challenges that stand in their way. A lighthearted and playful puzzle game about working together. Play alone controlling both characters or share the experience with a friend. Bleep Bloop is easy to learn, uh, but that doesn't mean the puzzles will be a piece of cake. Reminds me of that game. Remember that game, Brothers. Ibn Ob? Oh, Brothers, too, yeah. Oh, Ibn Ob. Yeah. Bleep Bloop, that you're running out of name ideas, let's say. I mean, there's only so many at this point, right? <laughs> yeah. Fucking Ark of Alchemist, what? Yeah, I'll be interested to see what people think of the name of our game. I like it, but we'll find out. Brain and Retro comes to PS4. Eric Games invites players to experience 80s retro world. That's what it says. <laughs> All right. Brain and Retro... Spa- uh, Brain in Retrospace appeals to all gamers with its multiple game modes. Choose your favorite car and spacecraft and challenge your skills. What the fuck? What? <laughs> what? Okay. All right. Whatever. Listen. I don't even. Yeah, just move on. I can't even take it. Anymore. Five, five Nights at Freddy's comes to PS4. Uh, happy New Year 2011, everybody. Um, <laughs> welcome to your new summer job at Freddy Fazbear's Pizza. The main attraction is Freddy Fazbear. Animatronic. Wait, what? Wait the the main animatronic is one, yeah animatronic bear and it, all right hold on yeah this is I, all hate, I, I hate this this is a, this is an old game the write up shouldn't be like this animatronic robots programmed to please the crowds as the night security guard you must watch the security cameras carefully sometimes the animatronics function on their own can you survive five nights at Freddy's God, it's about time huh it only took yeah. ten years for that game to come out Foxyland comes to PS4 and Vita. Help Foxy Fox on a dangerous journey to rescue his love, Jenny. <laughs> without your without your help, Foxy won't be able to save her. Jump and dodge past challenging enemies and traps while collecting gems and cherries across 36 levels. Dress up Foxy by purchasing additional accessories for him using the cherries you collect on your journey. I would imagine that's one of those bullshit platinum games. Not yeah. platinum, the Japanese studio, platinum trophy games. <laughs> Gas Guzzler's Extreme. Whoa. Gas Guzzler's Extreme is a fast, furious, arm to the teeth, trigger happy shooter shifted into top gear. Uh, take a white knuckle ride in this crazily addictive uh, combat racing game that features a ton of vehicles, weapons, upgrades, on track bonuses, environments, and a zombie apocalypse for, for good measure. I actually like the name. I wish it was just called Gas Guzzler's. I think that would have been funnier. Than Gas Godzilla's Extreme. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was a uh, a video game about just drinking gas. Oh, okay. Well, like that literally just guzzling gas. Doesn't gas smell so good? I love the way gas smells. I mean, if, if I could huff gas and get away with it, I would do it without killing myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know if I disagree with you, but like, I, I feel like I should. Yeah, someone's got to. Someone's got to be the adult here. You might as well be you. 
Golazo comes to PS4. Golazo is a dynamic arcade football game with a medium si- with with a medium sized fields. That's what it says. With a medium sized fields, no fouls and offsides whistled. Just pure fun. Mastering the game is incredibly easy during the fun and furious seven versus seven matches. With its local multiplayer modes and crazy vintage approach, Golazo is the ideal choice for couch and party gamers. Well, thanks. Greece comes to PS4, and I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Greece. Uh, Gris. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. I've not heard I it said. Think I've, I think I've heard it said before, and I think it's Greece. Okay. It's G-R-I-S. Greece comes to PS4. Greece is a hopeful young girl lost in her own world, dealing with a painful experience in her life. Her, <laughs> I always get these. Her journey through sorrow is manifested in her dress, which, with, which grants new abilities to navigate her faded reality. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Her faded reality. Greece is a serene, evocative experience, free of danger, frustration, or, de- or death. Uh, it can be enjoyed by anyone regardless of their spoken language. Holy moly, that does sound um, like a really uplifting uh, adventure. Uh, Pick a Picks Classic 2 comes to PS4 and Vita. The latest installment in the popular picture crossword series, Pick-A-Pix is a picture logic game, sometimes known as Picross or Picross, Nanogram or Hanji, where whimsical pixel art pictures are created by solving puzzles. Pick-A-Pix Classic 2 features 150 brand new single color puzzles from 15 by 15 up to 30 by 20 grids. Um, the Picross games or Picross games, I think they were on Super Famicom. That's where yeah. I was uh, familiar with them. But uh, yeah, this is the second one that's come to PS4 and Vita in the last few months. Soccer, Tactics, and Glory Awesome name. comes to PS4. Yeah, it's a really good name. It's an original combination of turn-based strategy and RPG. Create a football team, play matches, earn XP, train skills, learn new classes, upgrade facilities, buy and sell footballers, grow youth, <laughs> make hard choices. <laughs> a deep, it's a deep strategy which respects your time. Well, I like a game that respects my time. Yeah. I say that a lot. You do. And I I especially appreciate when games say they're going to respect your time. So uh, grow youth. I don't know what that means. It could could definitely just be lying to me. Definitely. Story of a Gladiator comes to PS4. You are a common man who has lost everything in the war against the Roman Empire. You spend much of your time in the streets of Rome looking for some sort of meaning in your life and wondering why the (laughs) gods have spared you. One day fate (laughs) finally reveals itself. Are you ready to accept it? The arena awaits you, Gladiator. Oh, man. The Nightfall comes to PS4. You spend the first night alone in your new house. Darkness falls and a night begins that you have never experienced before. What begins with insomnia and a slight malaise becomes Mm -hmm. an absolute nightmare over time. Mm -hmm. This is a very special house that doesn't doesn't just mean... What? That doesn't just mean good to you? This is a very special house that doesn't just mean good to you. What? Will you be able to survive this night until dawn? Jesus Christ. Does anyone read this shit? That's not like a turn of phrase that I don't know, right? No, that's Just definitely not a turn of phrase. Just mean good to you. I don't... I, it sounds like someone wrote in Polish and put it in like Google Translate <laughs> and tried to get an English... Listen, I know Sony and Sony PR listens to this show and I feel like they're just doing this shit to annoy me at this point. Have someone fucking read your shit. <laughs> Maybe they're, they're fans of the drop and they want it to continue. And they know that this is the only way that it can. And finally, Chris, True Fear Forsaken Souls Part 2 comes to PS4. I must have missed uh, Forsaken Souls Part 1. True Fear Forsaken Souls combines the best of the psychological thriller with intuitive gameplay mechanics for a mind-bending mystery escape game. If you're looking for a horror game that doesn't sacrifice the story, this is the game for you. That's it. Nothing really notable there, I don't think. Maybe that Grease game. 
don't yeah. Know. I mean, I guess Five Nights at Freddy's is a oh, thing that yeah. that exists and is kind of culturally pervasive. I see that in stores sometimes, like some merchandise. Oh, so cool. I guess it's still kicking. So yeah, Fa- Freddy Fazbear. There you go. Chris, let's end as we always do with six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience. Remember, you can submit your inquiries at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. We very much appreciate your support over there. Yeah. Mitch Crasson wrote into us. He said, what is happening within the Valley of Gods? It has been removed from a bunch of places after it was revealed that Campo Santo was working on Half-Life. I loved Firewatch on the PS4 and was looking forward to getting their next game there, too. Currently, there is a FAQ on their site stating it is still out in 2019. Is the game dead or just on hold? So as I promised, Chris, we were going to come back to this topic because we were talking a little bit earlier about Half-Life, Alex. And so I actually went and looked into this a little bit in preparation for our show. So as people will remember, Campo Santo was a Bay Area based developer that made Firewatch in 2016, which was a walking simulator. I wasn't actually crazy about it. Did you did you like Firewatch? Uh, I thought it was fine. I thought the I I, I played it and uh, I finished it and I was like, wow, that's uh, that was that was definitely deeply underwhelming. Yeah, uh, I well thought it was put. fine. It was a nice experience actually up until the end. Right, that's exactly right. Yeah, I, it just didn't. I mean, for the for the first half of it, I was really into it, and then yeah, I, I thought it became really weak after that. But nonetheless, there was a really interesting thing. People might remember that Valve bought Campo Santo in 2018 and actually moved them to Washington, which was weird. You don't usually see studios relocate uh, wholesale like that. And they were making and they had announced before that acquisition a game called In the Valley of Gods, which looked like another story based uh, walking simulator. And they were promising that even though Valve had bought them, that that actually was going to come to all platforms, including PlayStation 4, presumably. And so actually to Mitch's point, Chris, I did look and the, on their website, it still does say that the game is coming out in 2019. That's obviously not true. But I was looking around a little bit and reading some stories that people had published. And it appears that so first of all, he's right. The, the um, There's a few weird things. And I wrote them all down. The game's trailer has been made private. The YouTube trailer, um, the profiles of the various people that work at Campo Santo have removed Valley of the Gods in the Valley of Gods rather from their profiles. And it was revealed that they were working on at least partially working on Half-Life Alex alongside the fact that the uh, the any mention of in the Valley of Gods was removed from their website, as uh, Mitch had said. All right. So all of those things were uh, noted in various uh, investigative pieces, let's say, about Campo Santo's current, I guess, situation. But it seems, Chris, that in the Valley of Gods is done. It's canceled. And I always so here's the thing. I, I actually like I said, I didn't really think Firewatch was that great. And I actually thought Valve Valve buying Campo Santo was fucking weird. I was like, why would you buy Campo Santo of all the studios that you could buy? And it seems like they've just acquired them and then put them on Half-Life. So I don't know if in the Valley of Gods will reemerge, Mitch. But it has certainly been removed from the website. Its trailer is gone. No one mentions it in their Twitter profiles anymore. And uh, I would assume it's no more. And that's a kind of a shame because it actually looks pretty good. Yeah, it looked uh, I like the aesthetic of it. Yeah, me too. But I my assumption was that they were working on and this is like real. I'm not even kidding. I feel like they were working on that game and they were like, this is not this is not terrible. And then maybe Valve came to them. And it's like, you want to work on Half-Life? And they were like, we have to work on Half-Life. That could be. Like, why would we not work on Half-Life? I don't... Yeah, I don't know 
what because the, the guys that I can't even remember their names, but the guys that founded Campo Santo came from Telltale. And so I don't know. I guess they must have hired some gameplay mechanics guys and some or girls and some designers and stuff. And so they might be a little more fleshed out as a studio now where they can handle a game like Half-Life. But yeah, I wonder why. Why them, though? Like, are they working like in tandem? They've got to be working in tandem with other other like maybe not other studios, but maybe like more people from Valve. Yeah, I would I would assume so. I would I assume would it's probably a collaboration. Yeah. Yeah, because there's no way that they, there's no way that I, if I was like putting money and allocating resources, I wouldn't be like, hey, uh, Campo Santo is going to make a, a VR Half-Life game. Like, I, I would not I would not allocate those resources to that. No, no. <laughs> At least uh, not wholesale. No, definitely not. So, I mean, it's possible. I mean, that's a good point because it's possible that they're also working on just another mystery project or they renamed the game or they're it's, it sometimes happens that games dis- are announced, disappear and reemerge as something else, something different. So but again, I'll just reiterate, I have no idea why they bought Campo Santo. I, th- I just thought that was the strangest acquisition. I didn't yeah. understand that at all. So, yeah, Mitch, it looks like you are right on. It looks like it's uh, disappeared for the time being. Mark Elfering wrote in and said, hello there. Said in Obi Wan voice. I, did Obi Wan say hello there at some point in the? I I would assume hello so. Hello there. I, yeah, I don't I don't I don't know. I'm trying to. I guess it was in the New Hope. Hello there. I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. There's got to be. I, I love the premise of like quoting somebody, but it's like a it's the basic thing. It's like, hey, what's up, Abraham Lincoln? Like hello there. I mean, I hear that like all the time. Okay. Are we getting less value for our consoles? Mark asks. What I mean by this is that the previous generation saw entire trilogies released on the consoles like Uncharted, Resistance, Mass Effect, etc. Whereas we have only had a few interspersed games this generation like Uncharted 4, Horizon or God of War. It seems that over the same time period, we are getting less and less games. I certainly understand that the games you are getting now are incredibly expensive and difficult to make. But wasn't that also the case at the time for PS3? If the cycle of devs time is to continue increasing in the future, will we continue to see larger gaps between major releases on PS5? I'm finding it harder and harder to justify buying PS5 until I have four or five games worth picking up. Do you agree? Thanks for all you do. Keep Tuesdays great. We will do our best, Mark. Thank you for your letter. I first need to be that guy. Uh, you have a grammar error of, of some uh, significance. Uh, he says, it seems that over the same time period, we're getting less and less games. It's fewer and fewer games, if you can count them. So I just want to throw that out there. Yeah. Now, uh, I'm sorry. I had to do it. I just had to do I it. I mean, you know, you live the way you want to live. But... <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm going to. I'm, I'm absolutely going to or, or die the way I want to die, as it were. <laughs> right, right. But Chris, Mark brings up an interesting point, although it doesn't really resonate with me because PS3. Yeah, we had three Uncharted games. We had an Uncharted game every other year. Naughty Dog actually released four games that generation to two games this generation. Sony Santa Monica released only one game this generation. Uh, Gorilla released two, etc. So I, I take the point. But no, I don't think it's the same as PS3 because I think that the games are getting more dynamic. The games are getting more complicated. They're getting bigger. The, I mean, if you really, I Uncharted Drake's Fortune is a great game as an example. But if you really take Uncharted Drake's Fortune and put it next to Uncharted 4, there's much more different about those two games than just graphical fidelity. Uncharted 4 is a bigger game. It's a it's a more complete game. I actually don't like it as much, but it's certainly more dynamic and more complicated. So yeah. I think. So what do you think about this? Do you think that we're we should expect? games to come out at a slower clip moving forward because i'm fine with that i would rather have like something really amazing once or twice from a studio per generation than something that's just a, a redux and uncharted the uncharted trilogy is really just one major one big game so what do you think yeah yeah i don't really it doesn't really resonate with me either i i think uh what matters is the quality of what you're getting not necessarily the abundance and i I don't know. Uncharted Drake's Fortune like is fine 
to me. Like it's a it's a pretty decent game. The, the my favorite part of that game is the fact that it just throws you in the middle of a fucking creepy ass boat in the middle of it for no for no reason. Uh, that's like the best part of that game, honestly, because <laughs> it's just so shocking. But uh, I would I would play, you know, The Last of Us Remastered over. And I guess they're, that's a technically a PS3 game, but I, I kind of don't count it for some reason. Is that weird? No, I, I think it, it, it was the PS4 version came out so close to the PS3 version within a year, I think it was. Yeah. Because I, I think uh, Last of Us came out in 2013, June 2013, and I think Left Behind came out early 2014, and then the remastered version came out like a few months later. So, yeah, I, I'm with you in the sense that I just think that and maybe it's just me and maybe it's just you because I think you're of the same mind as I am that there are just too many games anyway. So if, if there are fewer games coming out, that's fine. I don't need like 8,000 games a year. I, I would love to have like one or two great games a month at the most, at like the very most. So yeah. th- there are all these games like Code Vein is one of those games that I really want to play. Like I'm never going to get to Code Vein. So to have <laughs> so to have something like where we're just getting more thoughtful experiences because I'll say this as a longtime PlayStation fan and gamer, the quality of exclusives per exclusive in the PS4 era is significantly higher than it was in the PS3 era, where we had way more exclusives, but they were of a lower quality. Remember that we had like kind of these middling games like Starhawk and stuff like that. Yeah, Lair. Lair, exactly. Lair was so bad that Factor 5 literally shut down after they released it. So to me, I I look at it and, and maybe, again, maybe people are playing games quicker than I am or they just want more varied experiences, but I'd rather sit down with a game like Days Gone or a game like Detroit or something like that. Every, you know, I, a few of those like Spider-Man, a few of those games every year, I think is perfect. And you have to remember that a lot of the PS3 exclusives that we that some of us loved, like the Resistance series, didn't sell that well. So Sony also has to look at it from a corporate standpoint as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Next year is going to be insane, though. Like I'm, I'm looking at like stuff that's just all the shit that's coming out next year. And it's uh, fucking intimidating. It's like it's actually much. just such a daunting amount of shit. Yeah, February and March are crazy, absolutely nuts. So I gotta like work quick and get. I mean, I'm still playing fucking Death Stranding. I really want to play Star Wars. I gotta still play these other games. So I gotta get moving. This is fucking what scary, I'm man. Don't be scared. I'll protect you. That's too much. It's <laughs> just too much. Austin Reed wrote into us, Chris. He said, "Greetings, cock and cock." That's not very nice. It's not even. It's not even fucking clever. <laughs> no, no, it's just, it's just dumb, Austin. I'm like, new Patreon supporter, first time writing in. Is Rockstar Games sitting on a gold mine of IP? Of course, they have GTA and Red Dead, but why haven't they went back to some of their other well-received games, such as Midnight Club, Manhunt, Bully, Max Payne, LA Noir, etc.? So many people want Bully too, including myself. I would love to see another Midnight Club in Manhunt. LA Noir was a unique game they could go back to and make better. Max Payne Three had a fantastic story and actually really good gameplay. Also, what the fuck happened to Agent? I need answers, damn it. Thank you for all you do. Much love from Alabama. Thank you, Austin, for writing into us. So last things first, you know, obviously Agent was canceled like 12 years ago. So that's what happened yeah. to that. Now, uh, <laughs> I love the he's just sitting in his room like sweating. Yeah, he's just like, wondering where, where's what Agent. I've been waiting for so long for Agent news. There was there was three games around that time that were all announced and then canceled. It was like Agent, uh, Getaway 3 and eight or whatever that game was called that sony london game i think it was oh called yeah eight. eight yeah those were all can- they all looked exactly the same and they were all canceled now i again this is another economic reality situation if i were rockstar i'd be like we're not making shit but grand theft auto and red dead because 
we can make a midnight club game, but we're going to be competing with Need for Speed and Forza and Gran Turismo. No point there. We can, we can make Manhunt, but I feel like Manhunt would be really controversial today. Maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I love that game. But, I feel like Bully would be even more controversial. Yeah, Bully would definitely be controversial, which is why I think that they, they ignore that. L.A. Noir was not very good. It was also not made by Rockstar. It was published by Rockstar. Same thing with Max Payne. So uh, Max Payne was made by Remedy and published by Rockstar. So, not Max Payne 3. Oh, not Mac- Max Payne 3 was made internally at Rockstar? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, oh, okay. like Specifically, I remember because it was such a vastly different game and I was like, what the, what is the, I didn't like Max, Max Payne 3 at all, actually. But well, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. But yeah, no, it's it's I th- I believe I could be wrong, but I'm pr- I'm I'm certain Remedy didn't make it. Well, yeah, I don't think Remedy. Yeah, you're right. Remedy made Max Payne one and two because then they went on to Alan Wake, I think. Right. Yeah. Max Payne one and Max Payne two. And then there was a gap. Alan Wake, American Nightmare. I don't know. I have to delve deep into these useless things that I know. Yeah, it was it was developed by Rockstar Games and Rockstar New England. Oh, Rockstar New and, England. Interesting. And uh, some studio called Moore. I don't know anything about those guys. So, well, thank you for looking that up. I appreciate that. Now, oh, I, it's, I, I, oh, it's just it's, it just has more rock stars. So it's just like oh. every, <laughs> it's just like every rock star studio, I guess, helped. Oh, all right. Not a studio called more. Fair enough. Yeah. Now, Chris. Uh, yeah. So I, I look at it. I'm like, they're making so much money on Red Dead and so much money on GTA Online specifically that if you're just being realistic and you're also looking at 2K and Take Two, who are their kind of benefactors that. You would imagine that they just say like, well, why would we make a game that sells 5 million copies when we make a game that sells 100 million copies and just throw everything into the mix? It's just it's just different. And I'll also note, Austin, that you left out some games that are horrible that Rockstar made, like State of Emergency and H3O and some of these other games that were trash. So it's so not everything is uh, is on the up and up, let's yeah. say, with Rockstar in terms of the quality. But I would love, you know, I know you're a big fan of Bully and I'm a, I'm a fan of Manhunt. It would be cool if Manhunt did come back with Manhunt too. But, but yeah, you're right. Bully 2 would probably be incredibly, incredibly controversial. If I think you, it'd be amazing, honestly. I, be, I, I think yeah, if they made a, a modern Bully, it would be, uh, <laughs> it'd be fucking incredible. It's a fucking helicopter over my house. Whoa, they're coming for you. No. Well, like, Jesus. Do you sounds hear that? Like the, yeah, I do. It sounds like the Saigon airlift over by your house. <laughs> It was like fucking World War II. All right, let's move on. Judah S. wrote in, said, hey, courageous Colin and constantly confused Chris. Long time, second time writing in. I was just curious about your thoughts as to when we might see PlayStation finally revealing its next gen system. My prediction is that we get a repeat of the PS4 reveal and see it in February. Do you guys agree? And with do you guys agree? And with the news of possible standalone SSD cartridges being patented, do you think that it will significantly decrease the price of PS5? Thanks for making Tuesdays great again and for making me laugh and informing me on everything PlayStation. Thank you, Judah, for your kind words. Why would that make the why would that decrease the price of PS5? Yeah, I don't I don't understand that because remember we talked about the cartridges a few weeks ago that we thought might be Vita cartridges, but were probably something else. It seems like they're modular might be a modular addition to the PS5, which is what we've been talking about they need to do for a while now. I don't see that making it any cheaper personally, but I do feel like they might wait a little longer in the year because I, I don't know, like we, we think dreams or we, it seems like dreams is going to come out in February. We have in May, the last of us part two, and we have probably goes to Tsushima sometime in August or September. So they're going to have to fit it either in January and like March or April or later on in the summer. And I think that that March, April f- space is perfect. Like there's no reason to announce it too soon. You want to get it out before E3 so everyone can show their games and all of this. But uh, yeah. when do you think when do you think we'll see it? I think April's a safe bet. I think they, they're going to want to get The Last of Us out first. 
I think. I don't think they're going to want to share the spotlight, really. I think people, I, I think if anything, it'll just make it a little bit more confusing. If you're like, hey, here's The Last of Us Part 2. Uh, also, uh, new console coming out in like a few months. Yeah. You know, like it, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know if the messaging there is, is uh, smart or wise. So I think, I think April's probably safe. They got to get them away from each other because with the delay of The Last of Us into May, yeah, they open up that March to April area. And I would say February would be good, except for the fact that we now know, I mean, we basically have all the confirmation we need that Dreams is coming out. So, yeah, they have to figure it out. I mean, it could be very early in January, too, but I'm I'm really of the mind that they have to get it out before E3. There's no doubt, but or get it announced before E3. But I, I just feel like there's a little bit of space they can take advantage of and you don't want to cannibalize any of your games. I guess the game you would want to cannibalize is The Last of Us simply because everyone is already aware of it and is going to buy it anyway. So it's not like you're hurting it that much. I, I think I would be more loath to do that to like Ghost of Tsushima or something like that. And, and certainly Dreams, which needs all the help it's going to it needs all the help it can get. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you, Judah, for your kind words and your question. Nathan Cermak wrote into us and he says, hi, guys, hear me out. I thought Spider-Man was the perfect length. That's what she said. I even took a little extra time to get the platinum first and only with that said, that's Chris's uh, second or first platinum, but second one overall, right? Uh, no, it's the first Spider-Man was my first platinum and Crash Team Racing is my second. Right. I think with that said, do you think we will ever see gameplay length options? I love this question. Similar to the easy, normal and hard difficulty options that we are all, all used to. It would be a night. It would be nice if games could set up where you could select a time to completion range. I know it would be challenging from a development standpoint, but I suspect I could have skipped 15 plus hours of Red Dead 2 and still have enjoyed Arthur's complete journey. Unnecessary side quests seem like an easy place to start. I know you have the option to just skip them, but it is more difficult to do so when you have a map marker staring you down. A good example that I can think of is man or is from Madden that I played a couple of years ago. You could choose to play only offense or only defense or only certain important scenarios like third down, two minutes left in the game or the half, etc. This was a great time saver that didn't really take away from the overall experience. I would love to finish more games versus losing interest after 30 or so hours. Interested to hear your thoughts. I think this is an interesting question, Nathan. What do you think about this, Chris? I I don't know. I I feel like I I feel like because games are so dependent on the player that I feel like you could just kind of do this yourself without a slider of any kind. I don't know. It just feels uh, th this feels like an impossible implementation to me, honestly. I agree with you there because I I think he brought it up with like side quests and stuff. I think the games already kind of let you out of these long experiences by letting you just kind of mainline the game even if you have yeah. to drop the difficulty down like that's that's like what a side quest is it's like stuff that would give you a complete experience but you don't have to play through like that's like the whole purpose like you can skip like i, I like uh death stranding like i finished it way quicker than you did because i just didn't do any i, I didn't do anything i didn't have to I was like, this is the main mission. I'm going to do this main mission. I did like maybe a handful of, uh, you know, all the other stuff. And I, I never picked up other people's packages. In fact, I would actually pick up some packages and I would just toss them into rivers. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was just I was sick of all the uh, the clutter. Post-apocalyptic dickheadedness. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. I mean, it's so funny because people play games differently, too, which I think is not really. Well, that that's a good example of it. Like, I really didn't even know I was playing Death Stranding in a um, way I wasn't more well, not not supposed to play it, but I, that I was playing it slowly. I thought I was playing it the right way, you know, and then I realized like, oh, I could be moving much quicker through this game yeah. than I am. Yeah. Like how many how many hours are you in? Uh, it's like 55. 
So I, f- yeah, I finished it at 43, I think. I'm pretty sure. And I'm really crazy about like, because that game actually keeps running your time. So I'm really crazy about like stopping the game and restarting saves when I walk away and stuff like that, because I like just having an accurate clock. Uh, yeah. So I can tell people how long I actually played it. And actually that caused a lot of confusion with the trophy platinum time as well, or platinum trophy time that we were talking about, where they were saying on power picks, they were saying it took like 180 hours and then they amended it to like 70 because they're like, oh, the clock is just running. It's like, you guys didn't fucking know that. Okay. So yeah, I think it's an interesting idea. I love the question actually, because it's a, it's a different way of thinking about how games are delivered, but between difficulty settings and some of these options that we have like side quests and you can skip cutscenes and do all those kinds of things. I think games already kind of let you play them how you want. So, and, and again, Death Stranding is a good example. If I wasn't against the clock and wasn't paying attention, I'd probably still be walking around like a fucking idiot delivering everything to everybody thinking that that's what I was supposed to do. So it is a nice idea, but to Chris's point, I think that's an insurmountable design problem. I don't know how they would deal with that. There, there are some of the, I think Uncharted had it, I, I'm not sure, where they had that almost cinematic mode where like you can't die. I think Uncharted 4 had that, where it's like you're playing it almost like a movie. And yeah. th- that's one option, I guess. But I think the beauty of video games is that there's all sorts of different products for everyone out there. So you can just find a game um, that's more appealing to you uh, from a time played standpoint. Yeah. Chris, let's wrap up with Cody Jewell, who wrote into us and said, hey, CNC, with the recent announcement of Microsoft bringing the majority of modern Final Fantasy titles to Game Pass, it seems like Xbox is making a second attempt at catering to JRPG fans, a tactic they tried at the beginning of the 360 era. Even though PlayStation has traditionally been the premier console for JRPGs, do you think Sony could lose some market share to Microsoft in the coming generation if they continue to focus on third-person action-adventure games? Personally, if Microsoft ends up with exclusive WRPGs like Obsidian's and a comprehensive collection of classic JRPGs, I could see the next Xbox becoming my primary console. Thanks for keeping Tuesdays great. This is an interesting question because as people will remember, and I'm sure you remember Chris as a 360 gamer, Microsoft did go all-in, specifically Microsoft Game Studios, did go all in at the beginning of the 360 era to try to get as many Japanese games as they could in order to appeal to a wider audience. And so people will remember that Blue Dragon came out in 2006 and Lost Odyssey came out in 2007. Those are both yeah. by Mistwalker. There was like infinite undiscovery and stuff like that. I, right. I remember. Terrible. I, yeah, I just remember a lot of these. Uh, <laughs> I think Fantasy Star uh, Universe was on there, too. Because yes. I, would, I would fuck. And I, and, I, and I remember just being. Confused, I was like, uh, "What is all this doing here?" <laughs> oh my God, just, I was almost offended. It, it was it was interesting because it was a nice like, if you go back in time, it's actually kind of a bold move because yeah, the original Xbox wasn't all that popular. It sold about twenty five million units, and so these bets were already made before three hundred and sixty came out. And then three hundred and sixty ended up being this revolutionary machine. It's just that no one cared about it in Japan, and they were trying to get that audience and. Blue Dragon and Lost Odyssey were interesting in particular because Mistwalker uh, is Hironobu Sagugachi's or Sagaguchi rather's uh, studio. And he, of course, is the creator of Final Fantasy. So and was the producer and writer and director of like all the Final Fantasy games up through 12, basically. So that was a big get for them. But it showed you how no one cared about that hardware to such a degree that they wouldn't even buy those games. And what's unfortunate is that uh, and I looked this up before we started because I wanted to be sure Blue Dragon and Lost Odyssey never came out again. So like they were never re-released elsewhere outside of Xbox 360. They might be on backwards compatibility, but they never came to PlayStation. Uh, another game, Eternal Sonata by Tricrescendo, did end up coming to PS3, but that was another early JRPG that I actually really liked on Xbox 360. And if people recognize recognize the name Tricrescendo, it's because they work on like 
Digimon games, and they actually worked on Smash Brothers, the new Smash Brothers game. And then, yeah, like Chris said, Infinite Undiscovery was a tri-ace game. Those are the guys that do Star Ocean. The only game of that group that I could find that actually ended up coming to PlayStation was The Last Remnant, um, which was a Square Enix created and published game that actually came to PS4, as people might recall, last year uh, for the first time. So I don't know that they're going to be making another play. I think the Final Fantasy acquisition of the Game Pass games was just a wise way to buff out their their catalog with Japanese role-playing games that I think are most relevant to a major audience. I don't think that Eternal Sonata is a major game, but I think Final Fantasy VII is a huge game. I mean, Chris Chris isn't a JRPG fan, and he played Final Fantasy VII. So I think that that's what they're trying to to do. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think so. I think it's, it's more of just like a... Uh, a play just to make Game Pass more robust and more diverse in what you can get on it. And I think it was a wise move, 100%. But I don't know if they're going to make a... I don't know if they're necessarily making a crazy play for JRPGs. They're definitely making a play for Western RPGs. Oh, certainly. 100%. Certainly. Uh, Acquiring Obsidian is very, very wise. But I don't know. I, I don't foresee people who are in love with JRPGs, JRPGs realistically buying an Xbox just to play JRPGs. Like, I just don't see that happening. I feel like PlayStation is just the default place for that. I think so, too. And I would even throw in Switch. I mean, Switch is definitely making some plays yeah. now as well for for that space. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't think they're making that bet just because they didn't make that bet with Xbox One. I mean, they did try to get involved with Platinum a little bit with, with Scalebound, which was really not a JRPG. That was more of a Japanese WRPG in some ways, which was interesting, but they canceled it. So, yeah, I don't think that that's what's happening. I think that they made a wise move, and I think that that was an awesome announcement to have all the Final Fantasy games, I think, 7 through 13, 3, or no, 15. Uh, all of those games on Game Pass makes it so valuable, so... No, I don't think so. But and I think that they just kind of ate shit when they tried last time. And I don't, I, you know, what do they say? Twice bitten, what once, twice bitten, once shy, or something like that. Whatever the I, saying I, is. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Who cares? All right, Chris. That's all I have for this episode of Sacred Symbols. This festive Thanksgiving episode of Sacred Symbols. Yeah, uh, look at that. I wish you the uh, safest of travels to yeah. uh, the East Coast. <laughs> I mean, me too. Yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Yeah. God, I, I, I'm, I, I hate flying because I feel like I'm just tempting fate constantly. It's, uh, you'll be fine. It's a safe, it's a safe mode of travel. Though they say it's safer to fly than it is to drive in a car or something like that. So. Yeah, they say that, but I mean, who knows if that's you know, actually true? It, yeah. Who, who the fuck? Who, who said that? Do you know yeah. who said that? Because no. I don't know. No, someone just said it. And it's like it's like a urban legend, urban myth, or whatever. It's like oh, you have a, you have like a point three percent chance. Of uh, what of like a plane going down, you know, but I'm always thinking like, well, if you're on the plane that's going down, it's pretty, pretty hundred percent, isn't it? Yeah, the math isn't you know I mean? uh, the math isn't relevant when that baby's going down. So you got to just kind of stay positive and and uh, you'll be fine. You'll be just. Fine. Yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll pass out on the plane. Yeah, you'll be you'll be great. Uh, we wish everyone out there, though, a uh, very happy Thanksgiving. If you're listening to this before Thanksgiving, if not, we hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, stay well out there. And uh, thank you so much for your support. Remember to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. You can just go to CollinsLastStand.com for merch and other information. And uh, yeah, Death Stranding spoiler cast will be coming up in the coming days. We'll be recording that when Chris gets to New York. So uh, thank you so much for your kindness, your generosity and your support. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Don't trample anybody.
Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded right here in sunny Santa Monica, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to the CLS P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Chris Adams, Carlos Algarit, Morgan Ashley, Saul Balcazar, Taylor Barkley, Martin Beck, Tyler Bello, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Eric R. Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Nick C., Alex Cabrera, Patrick Harper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Rodney Coleman, Simon Conception, Brad Cooley, John Cordero, Gio Corsi, Nick Cottrell, Philip Crone, Daniel Diamor, Colin Davenport, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Jerome Ferreira, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Rudon Fitzpatrick, Patrick, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Jonathan H., Eric Harden, Tyler Harris, Richard Hebert III, Kyle Hagel, Shane Hendrickson, Wyatt Henry, Robbie Hensley, Scott Hernandez, Asa Haas, Johnny Humphreys, Blake Azriel, Azan Isa Al Ricey, Josh Yeager, Garrett Jagger, Joshua Jonathan, Paul Joyce, Greg Julius, Anton Kay, Patrick Kelly, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Mason Kodalak, Jackson Lastiqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Matthew Lenz, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Scott Lovelace, Josh M, Kiet Mai, Ryan T. Mandel, Ross Maranka, Matt Martin, Sean Mason, Jordan Moss, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartland, Raul Melendez, Andrew Mendoza, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, Dan Nolan, George Anthony Nunez, Jesse Owen, Jorge Palomino, Andrew Parker, Zach Parsley, Daniel Parsons, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Matthew Perdue, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Travis Plymouth, Jeff Pollard, Lawrence F. Prokop, Nathan R., Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Daniel Rivas, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Jose Salinas, John Schultz, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Joshua Smallwood, Ahmad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Tremblay, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Connor Walton, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, David Wright, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Bloody Fang, Homeworld Hub, Gamer Filmaholic, Megadet, IQ Train, Throw7, McDog18, Infinite, Organic Produce, Mad Mock Media, Not Your Real Dad, Mubarak, Craft Heads Podcast, Richter86, Hugo's Desk, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Dav9834, Rainick, and Casual Misfits Gaming. Hold on, another train coming. Do you hear it through the mic? Uh, a little. No, I heard that. <laughs> yeah. So the problem is, like down here in this like cul-de-sac and, and neighboring houses, they have to blow the horn when they're coming through because I guess like some NIMBYs in the area don't want... Uh, like the proper railroad crossing things that stop cars from going across the tracks. So they have to like warn everyone. You would yeah. think that you would just want, well, whatever. Dustin, you can put it at the end. Who cares? All right. I have a distinct urge to rob a train whenever I hear that. I mean, whenever I hear that sound. Just like Red Dead. Yeah. Just reminds me of like, oh, I should, uh, should commit a felony. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, 
it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. 